Thank you for listening to the Truck Show podcast. Please leave a message after the tone. Hey, this is Mike Finnegan, and you are listening to the Truck Show podcast with my bros, Lightning and Holman. Trust me, it doesn't suck as bad as it sounds. Hey, yeah, come on, Mike. <laughs> what, Mike? Well, what? hey, the hate. Your show doesn't either. <laughs> <laughs> no, his show's much, much better than uh, than our show. I thought uh, that was nice of Mike to call the five star hotline, 657 205 6105, and leave a message for us. Hey, when's he coming back on? Because we haven't had him in a while. No idea. Did you see that he's trying to uh, trade Square Force One right now? Did you see he's offloading all of his ramp trucks? No, that's not true because I know it's he not, got the mother of all ramp trucks. It does seem like it. You seen the red one? The Kodiak? Uh, that is totally your your jam right there. So, yeah, I am all about it, but it's bittersweet for me. Why? Because I sent him an engine for one of the trucks yep, he's selling. But it, so now I need it back. But it didn't, <laughs> it didn't go into that truck. It didn't go into anything. It's right. in his garage. So why can't he put it into the big one? I don't know. I, I, I mean, if I were him, I'd take the Kodiak and I'd put the, uh, the Duramax in there. It sounds like he's up oh, I to mean his, the bank sixty six hundred. Yeah, it, it sounds like he's up to his butt in uh, up to his eyeballs in projects. I mean, he's working on what the, changed lately? Does he have another baby coming or something? Because I, I feel know. like there was must have been some life change because he's divesting himself of things. But then something else shows up, so it's not like a full on one to one. It's not like he's round filing everything. But Other he did spend up. a lot of time on his crazy fast jet boat. That thing is stupid fast. <laughs> Uh, that's one. That's a vehicle I might be scared to go in. You know, I that, uh, probably that would boat not is ride. insane. Is it a single, big single or twins? It's twin no, turbo, it's twins right? Twins because there yeah. is a giant turbocharger behind both of the occupants' heads. Oh yeah, that's right. And he had to put screens yes. on the uh, compressor Keep wheel. His wife's hair out. Of right. It. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine getting sucked <laughs> oh into the compressor? God. Well, on he a turbo? needs to have like one of those airplane. Uh, uh, I, I I don't know iconology on the side that says like you know danger jet intake or something. Yeah. Like no that. step here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> If you don't know the name, Mike Finnegan is one half of Roadkill, and he's our favorite half. Unless, the Unless other David half comes listening. back on, then he's our favorite <laughs> and half. If David, yeah, then David's absolutely, yeah, absolutely our favorite half. Now, you may think, how does uh, Mike Finnegan get to lead off the Truck Show podcast? But you, too, can be like Mike by uh, calling the five-star hotline and uh, leaving a brief intro. And we'd love to start the show with some of our listeners. So uh, if you're interested in having your voice start the Truck Show podcast, leave us a message. Again, 657-205-6105. Five-star. 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 Hotline. Feels a little weird, Holman, to play a jingle or piece of audio before we've actually started the show with the official intro. Oh, but we can't do that yet. No, we can't. Dude, I was listening to a podcast, Janky Town, which uh, some of the guys that uh, I was doing the BT no, with. Let, hold on. Let, let, me, let, me just, let, me, let me just tell my story first. Right? I know how you feel I know, about it. No, no, no. It's, that's not true. You don't know how I feel about it. Oh, I, no, that's true. I don't. I'm just saying that it's the B team uh-huh. has morphed into a different podcast because most of those guys got blown out of the uh, radio station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, uh, listeners of our show remember the B team and that whole drama that went on. And I'm just saying their new show is Janky Town. No, actually, you're saying it's Janky Town. I'm not saying I hate it. It is janky, though. It is janky, and I find it amusing, although if you don't know who those guys are- If you don't are, know them, it's not, probably I, not I, that I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. But I thought it was funny the other day. I was listening to their podcast, and it was 44 minutes into the show, and then all of a sudden I hear, hey, guys, let's play the intro. Yeah. They had a 44-minute no, intro. That's not the record. It's not? No, the at the end of uh, the B Team, before uh-huh. the B Team uh, podcast died- um, or was removed from uh, the interwebs. I want to say it was close to an hour was the record. <laughs> 
and I was I was I know exactly where I was. I was driving through uh, northern Arizona through Monument Valley, and you had and assumed I, that they had already played the intro, and well, you missed it. Right? I had no cell service, so I was listening to podcasts. Oh. Right, I had, well, on my podcast, I had, I had downloaded on my phone, and suddenly I come into this little town, and I'm thinking to myself, "Did they start the show?" And I couldn't remember, and I'm like, it was annoying me because I think I thought about that like 45 minutes in, and I was annoyed that they hadn't started the show yet. And I'm like. When you're driving, you just kind of blahs. You, you, know, you lose track of time. And you're just sort of in your mind. I'm like, oh, I guess I missed it. And then 15 minutes later, <laughs> the show started. <laughs> so I, here's the thing for people who don't know podcasts is that, uh, you know, if you have sponsors, and they do and we do and stuff, yeah. the sponsors usually want, your partners want a, uh, a mention up front before yep. the jingle. Yep. And then- after the jingle, yeah, that's the where end, they yeah. want it, right? And so you have a little, you know, witty banter like we do yeah, beforehand. Yeah. You Mi- have a little window where you can kind of uh, just, you know, start the show, right? And- Minus the witty part, right? Oh, right, just the banter, yeah, just the banter, and then you do the jingle and you start the show, kind of right. like a TV show when you're watching a Discovery Channel show or yeah. you know, Dirt Every Day or something like that. You, you, they have commercial a commercial up front, and before you get to the content, you uh, are presented with the advertiser's, uh, you know, proposition, and then you go into the show and you watch a little bit of the show, and usually at the end, the show is brought to you by, and that's how. It <laughs> I just think it's funny. Sometimes we go like ten minutes. Yeah, but I thought, and it annoys you if we go ten minutes. It does annoy. But me. it annoys you because you're editing it, and you tell me, "Dude, I can't believe we went ten. I'm like, "Yeah, but you kept going," and you're like, "I know, but I'm mad about it." <laughs> sometimes I can't help myself. I just thought it was funny because I thought forty four, whatever minutes. They but were. how long was the episode? Like sixty. <laughs> it was it was only like an hour 20, so yeah. halfway through the show they start. Anyway, enough yeah, about their show. Funny. So on this episode of the Truck Show Podcast, which I believe, Holman, is 142? 142, yeah. 142. Right. Jason Engelman, who is not only an engineer, he's head of Damper Magic at Bilstein. Well, it's not only, we're not just bringing you Bilstein. What's special about Jason is he is the magician, he and his team over there at Bilstein, behind the shock technology on the new Bronco. And on the Ram TRX. And I'm hoping he's going to tell us about how those Bill Steins are so awesome and what makes them different. Because I will, and I will tell you right now, that shock technology on the TRX is the most badass, technologically advanced, and sophisticated suspension system ever fitted to a factory pickup truck, period. And I want to know more about it. Last night I was watching a YouTuber. And he was at a, a TRX event of some sort. It was weird. It looked like it was it was shot in a little Amish town. Uh, maybe you can elaborate. I don't know if you're familiar with the event, but he was there, and there was a, a TRX there, a red one. And he was walking around this thing, and he was just giving the he you know he was able to sit in it and then just walk. He didn't get to drive or mm-hmm. any of that stuff. And he was talking about the shock technology and didn't have very much info. And yeah. I and I'm looking at this beautiful piece of technology. Yeah. And he didn't have much to say about it. I'm like, oh my god! If if Holman had only been there, uh, he I just would have yeah. like completely like he would have licked it. And he no, 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 <laughs> no, I would have pushed him out of the side and said, okay, let me tell you about it. No, so that's what I, I mean. That's what I'm getting at is that you have the data, and I've never met anyone more thrilled about anything ever <laughs> than you to talk about this freaking shock. And so the good news is. Jason is actually an engineer. He's the dude. He's the dude. We're not talking to, not not that there's anything wrong with the marketing guy at Bill Stein, but we're not talking to the marketing guy who's going to tell you a bunch of bullet points. This is the dude who, if you guys out there, we know you love getting deep and and techie. Mm -hmm. If you want to nerd out on shocks, this is your episode to nerd out on shocks. And from what I understand, Jason is not one to bite his tongue. I am hoping we'll get some gems out of him. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I have to. I have a beef with you. Okay. It's not a big beef. It's a minor beef. Okay. I pull up and before you got here because I beat you, which is rare to the studio. Very rare. And I pull up and there sits idling right in front of my bumper 
a beautiful Nissan Titan XD. Okay. And I'm like, this has got to be for us. Like, this, the, Holman's mm-hmm. lined something up. We get a loaner truck. Yeah. I'm super pumped. Yeah. And then the lights turn on because it's it's getting dusk out. Yeah. Lights turned on and it pulls away. And, and it pulls, Were you confused? So it goes around me now. I think it's Holman. He's in it. Now mm-hmm. he's just going to clown me because that's yeah. what you do, right? right. I would do yeah, that to you. That's true. He drives around me. So now I'm, I'm looking in my rear view mirror at him. He rolls down the window. He looks. It's a blonde dude. So it's now it's not you. And uh, were you shocked? He rolls up the window because he's looking. He squints like, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. And I thought, I must know this guy. He's got to be from Nissan or Motor Trend. Some, and the window rolls up. Drives away. Drives away. I'm like, curse it. And I'm like, wait, uh, what? Why is there a new Nissan Titan here, mm-hmm. brand new? Mm-hmm. It's a freaking XD, and you and I aren't in it because somebody bought bought one because they heard the podcast. I just no, I think it was a media loaner or something. Not if it had paper plates. If it had paper plates, somebody owns that. It one. didn't. No, it didn't. It didn't. They weren't dealer plates. They were like they had. It was Tennessee plates. No, that would be a manufacturer plate uh, for a Nissan. So somebody has the uh, the Titan loan going on, and, uh, and it's we not don't us. have it. Good you know, all we need to do is make a phone call. But we don't. You don't. I don't. What's wrong? I've been, I've been busy lately. Can what you, do you want from me? Can you please? Uh, yeah. What do you want? At some point in the near future, I want another well, Titan loan. Well, we have some other Nissan stuff I've been working on. Uh, hopefully in the next... Uh, Couple months, uh, so. but it'll be awesome. Can we when talk about comes. it when we get it? Can we talk about it, or do we have we, to sit on it? We will all likely have to sit on it for a little while. This must be frontier news. But then we're going to bring our listeners in full circle, hopefully a little bit early. Frontier news about some stuff Nissan's working on. So you're talking about the new twenty. 20- 21 Frontier then. Just some future products that we can't discuss on the Truck Show podcast related to our uh, presenting sponsor, Nissan. Come on. That if you stick with us through the end of the year, you're going to have a little bit of... uh, Nissan love? I'm just saying that if you you stick with us through the end of the year, you might uh, get a little something-something. That's all. What do you mean, something, something? You know, I feel like- Are they going to get a little nookie from Nissan? I feel like everything we have right now with our sponsors is uh, embargoed. Embargoed. All right, well, while you're waiting for our big news to break here uh, in the next few months, head over to NissanUSA.com. Check out the current lineup of trucks. I hear the 20s are going on sale. They're moving them out. End of the year. We just got the 20s. <laughs> to make room for the 21s. <laughs> the 20s were like here for like 60 days. Nissan Titan. They're like in and out. Titan get XD. In, get them out. Five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. <sighs> Hard to beat. Fender audio system. Zero-gravity seats. Come on with the come on. NissanUSA.com. Do it. Let me ask you this. Did you get a giant 120-pound box on your porch this week? No. I did. I know what it is because I, I know the weight. Right. Well, so, uh, well, there's probably a reason that I don't have one because I don't have a vehicle that it could go in at the moment. I also don't. That's not true. You have a loaner vehicle that it could go in. Nope. It's nope. gone back? It went bye-bye. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so um, I don't, although well, I think we're going to put it in our uh, shop truck. So Deck reached out and said, hey, uh, we're shipping the very first ones to uh, influencers and to partners. And This is the same thing that you and I tried to destroy and couldn't? Yeah. Okay. And they're finally shipping them out. And so uh, there's a first batch that they wanted to test the, the packaging and UPS to see if they came damaged. And so I was on the list. So I've got a form i got to fill out and send back about how it made it and all that kind of good stuff. And um, 
I get a text from my wife who sees it, I guess, on the ring and goes, the hell is this? <laughs> and this is, it could, be, could have been a piece of furniture. I told her it was a knows, co- right? Well, I told her it was a coffin. <laughs> it's, it's about that size. You're, you're like, I don't feel well. Um, I, I bought myself a coffin. So what's interesting is uh, I also oh, get a text. just gave away the size. No, I, I said it was big and, and about the size. Here's the deal. I'm out on a vehicle drive this week, mm-hmm. and so I'm not even home, and my wife texts me with, what is this? And then my mom came by the house to pick up my older daughter and felt bad that this giant box is on my porch, mm-hmm. and my mom opened the front door and drug it into the entryway, all 120 pounds of it, and goes, I didn't want somebody to come and steal it. I'm going, you know, Mom, probably <laughs> not going to happen, but thank you. <laughs> so there's two things with the mom thing. Yeah. Is it one, Mom, why'd you do that? Okay, which is yeah. you're going to hurt yourself, you're going to throw out your back. But And then, Mom, I wish you hadn't done that because you could have scratched my floor. Not my floor. It's your floor. No, I know, but it's it's tile. It's fine. Oh, it's all okay. Good. Yeah. Well, I thought you had a wood. Didn't you have a no, wood no, no. runway in there? No, no it's all no, tile now? It's all tile, yeah. Okay, I forgot yeah, about that. So okay. it's, all, it's all nice, but... Uh, Anyway, I just wish we could talk about it. Well, let's talk about something we can. What about the D-bag, deck D-bag? Uh, I have been uh, using mine. How? What'd you put in it? Uh, I put in uh, jumper cables mm-hmm. and tools mm-hmm. and uh, gloves mm-hmm. and basically all that junk that you always have stashed somewhere in your vehicle mm-hmm. that you it's in every cubby hole and everything. It's all in the D-bag now. And so the cool thing is if I swap vehicles, I just swap the D-bag into the other vehicle. So I always have the same you know, tools and equipment with me. The funny thing is when we were up in Big Bear in the mountains and I got out of one Jeep and moved into the other, the same phrase could have applied. Huh. You moved one D-bag into yeah. the other yeah. vehicle. That wasn't intentional at all. <laughs> all right. Well, if you're uh, interested in procuring a D-bag of your own, mm-hmm. head over to decked.com and uh, you can name yours Lightning too if you want. Oh, how dare you? The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. What the truck, cause truck rides with the truck show. We have the lifted, we have the lowered, and everything in between. We'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline. The truck show, the truck show, the truck show. Oh, oh. It's the truck show with your hosts, Lightning and Holman. Um, it's not lost on me after talking about starting shows uh, after talking for 40 minutes. What was uh, what was that one? Uh, I mean, with a little editing, it's going to be somewhere around uh, 17 minutes or so. <laughs> <laughs> 17 minutes into the show, something like that. I don't know. All right, well. I mean, uh, listen, after 142 episodes, we're still not professionals. We have never <laughs> professed to be, and we're never going to be. Yeah. Hey, question really quick here. Okay. Before we get into Jason, I think we're going to call Jason Engelman first, right? Yes, From we Goldstein? are. Okay. Before we dial him up, I had a question. Okay. What's Shoot. up with Bollinger Motors? And here's why I ask. Okay. Last night, sitting on the couch with my kid, and he's yeah. all fired up to watch Cosmos. He is a huge fan of Neil deGrasse Tyson. Okay. Right? We're watching the show, learning about a lot about space, time, and black holes and everything else. And here he is kind of on a, in a desert setting, and he's doing his thing, just talking to the camera. The camera pans wide, and what's right next to him but a Bollinger B1. Oh, they got a little uh, uh, placement on the TV show? No mention of it. Just sitting there. Just sitting there. Just looks all futuristic and electric-y? Goes away, comes back a few minutes later, there's a scene with him behind it, not driving it, 
but just behind talking through the windshield at the camera. And I thought, hmm, this is interesting. No, I'm not insinuating that it doesn't drive or anything. I'm just saying that's the shot that they chose at that moment. But uh, I was like, wow, that's interesting. When does it come out? Like, are they, they're front loading, they're trying to yeah, build some I mean, interest. Yeah, they're, they're taking, you can reserve one now. And they've announced the B1 and the B2. And I think they've uh, even announced the uh, B2 chassis cab. So that's the uh, pickup truck without the bed on the back. I just had forgotten how square it was. Yeah. It really is just square. Yeah. And the interior looks- It's uh, hip to be square. Vintagey. It's a very- Is that fair to say vintage? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's minimalistic for sure. We should have Mr. Bollinger back on. I'm sure I could uh, make a phone call and make that happen. Do you know it's been almost 100 episodes, maybe more since we had him on? Then it's probably time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll add it to my notes uh, to have him on, but- uh, but for now, uh, we've got our first guest lined up, Mr. Jason Engelman from Bill Stein. I'm going to go ahead and dial right now. We are going to talk shocks. We're going to talk shocks. Would you call it shock talk? You know what we need, man. <laughs> uh, shock talk. No, no, no. Shock talk. This one? No. Oh, uh, no? No. Okay. Shock talk. I'll, I'll stop it. That's, yeah. uh, are that, you going to yeah. make a... I was thinking the parody version of that, shock talk. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's just call Jason. You're going to dial. Jason. Jason, it's Lightning and Holman from the Truck Show Podcast. How you doing? What's happening? Fantastic. How's it going, guys? Outstanding. We've got Jason Engelman from uh, Bill Stein on the phone. But before we can let you talk, we've got a quick intro. Don't move. It's the inside job, baby. Yes, it is. It's the inside job now. Uh-huh. It's the inside job, baby. It's time for you to share what you do. Now, that intro is appropriate because Jason from Bill Stein, you're the head of Damper Magic, and we don't know what the hell that means. <laughs> well, I, I do, I do. <laughs> no, we do. I'm just I'm just funning with him. It's me. Uh, when someone calls, and uh, usually no EM, and they have uh, a, an engineering problem for us, we, um, my team decides which technology we're going to apply to the solution, and then we... Uh, Send it. So we will eventually get into what I really want to talk about, which is the damper magic that is behind the new Ram TRX, because that is unbefreaking-leavable. But before we get there, I feel like we have to build up, because there's some other products out there that you uh, that you know and love. Well, we need to know if it says head of damper magic on his business card. Of course it does. Does it? Please tell me it does. <laughs> Actually, there's no job title on business card. Oh. That's it. He's just one of the well, many. I, oh, it's like it's, it's kind of like CEO. You're just I'm Jason. <laughs> Hello, Jason from Bill Stein. <laughs> it right. took me a long time to get to the point where I didn't have to have a job title on my business card. Oh, so that's oh. a thing. Oh, that's cool. All right. Well, that's it. I'm taking mine off tomorrow. Oh, is that was that like when you only have one key on your key ring? Because when you have tons of keys. Because it opens everything? No, no, no. Because when you have, yeah, yeah. When you have, you have tons of keys, you're the janitor. You're the low man yeah. on the totem pole, right? When you have one key. It's, it unlocks it's, the executive restroom. Well, it's that. It is to the Bentley. It's to whatever, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. All right. So uh, so there are a gazillion vehicles out there. Maybe not a gazillion, but but maybe half a gazillion uh, that have Bill Steins on them from the factory. Everything from uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee Trackhawk to a Nissan Titan Pro 4X and especially the new Bronco, as well as the Ram TRX. And so I thought it'd be great to have Jason on to kind of walk us through some of the Bilstein technology, how a uh, an OE picks shocks, what they do on their side to give the incredible ride and, and quality that Bilstein's known for, 
And then what the hell were you guys smoking when you did the TRX? Because <laughs> that thing is like next level. You you went through like magic dust and unicorn tears. Are you expecting him to tell you that he went to South America and smoked peyote for I, a week? I, I mean, what do you, I what mean, do you want I, him to tell you? I feel like he <laughs> went to a different dimension and came back with this and said, this is how we're going to do it. Uh, I don't know if any of that's true, but that's how I feel in my mind. It's a lot like that. Uh, <laughs> See, I told you I knew it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so Bronco uh ford called uh said hey we need a damper that has hydraulic end stop control and i said great we'll see you in two weeks and we'll give you a presentation well, the, that the seems awfully simple secret, <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> the it, dirty little secret is that we didn't really have everything lined out we had some some technologies half baked on the shelf we pulled a couple down uh made our presentation and won the business um, wow, well, that's okay. pretty impressive. The, it, it sounds very easy now, but you know the the tech is only about two years old. Maybe what day is it? It's less than thirty months old. Wow. Um, we went from uh, the concept that we provided to Ford to dampers on a test bench in five weeks, and um, we you know it was quite an engineering effort. And that's that's our that's our niche. It's not just a bunch of enthusiasts um, working in the same company and pulling on the same direction. We are an engineering company and that's, that's our niche is, is engineered solutions. So all of the, all the vehicles that run from everything that rolls with an SRT badge on it to, as you said, the, the frontier and the Titan pro four X vehicles. Now Bronco, um, every Tesla model S and model X, these are all, engineered solutions that the customer knew where to come to first and then and then we're that source and they're all they're all different technologies you guys have literally a tapestry of technologies in it you can sort of pull different things for different needs like the hydraulic end stop control that's a big deal especially in the short the relatively short stroke of the bronco shock maybe explain about you know how to, how you guys are packaging that in there and why that technology is so significant in the uh, in the OE world. I'm also curious, what did you develop it for? If it was just on the shelf waiting for someone to cherry pick, we we need to have bullets loaded in the chamber so that when the engineer does come to us, uh, or when the customer does come to our engineering team, we have some answers. We have a palette of paints that we can that we can use to to get the customer what they need. And get the end user riding in a in an excellent vehicle. You know, it, it's similar to you know some of the other great companies in the world where they are able to dedicate a certain amount of their time purely to innovation. Um, that's actually the engineering group that I work in inside of Bill Stein is technology and innovation. And for all of you out there, it is Bill Stein like Beer Stein. I know that is a well, point of contention in the industry. Have you ever industry. gotten into a, uh, a fight at a bar over the pronunciation of uh, Bill Stein? Or, or the pronunciation of pronunciation. Well, pronunciation? <laughs> pronunciation, yes. Yes, frequently. Uh, there are many, many, many people who who like to mispronounce the name. But as long as they're cutting checks, I really don't care. <laughs> all right. I like that. All right. So let's go back to uh, hydraulic uh, end stop control and talk about that technology as it relates to the Bronco. So that, that technology is our, what we call, uh, end stop control, ESCV. And, uh, everything needs a, a good acronym, and we thought that that was probably the best one. You can put this, this technology in either the compression side of the stroke or the rebound side of the stroke. 
Um, it's something that's happened in twin tubes uh, for, for quite a long time. Not very prevalent in monotube dampers and pressurized monotube dampers. That's because it usually, um, an end stop control eats up a lot of space, a lot of dead length in the damper. And as you said, with damper strokes getting shorter, uh, specifically on sedans um, with pedestrian impact issues and stuff like that, we have to find more and more efficient ways of packing uh, content into the damper. And on the ESCV, we can get up to a 65 millimeter engagement zone, but our, our space, once you've compressed everything, is only about 12 millimeters. So you're only giving up 12 millimeters of, of dead length to get that 65 millimeters of zone. It's an incredibly efficient system. Um, it can generate a tremendous amount of force as well, uh, up to five times the main working pistons force. So you can multiply that the force from the main working piston by five, and that's the amount of hydraulic end stop control that you can add. And what does that mean for the end user, for the driver? What's, what's the feel going to be for them as they're driving it? A lot of people, especially if they've had maybe um, one of the Nissan pickup trucks specifically, especially like a Frontier, not knocking the Frontier. I love the Frontier, and they are an excellent customer, but the stroke is a little short on that truck. And if you're off-road, you get a topping sensation. That's that's the a thunking or um, that's the damper topping out, really, extending all the way. Um, what the ESCV does is it, it damps that. It doesn't make it as, as obvious, but then also you get to maintain that control. So where you would have a jar at, at, a, at a topping out situation, now you've, you've softened your approach into the end of that stroke and you, you upset the vehicle less. And it's the same in the compression side. So if you jump the vehicle, you don't blow through the, the bump stops and get that really hard hit that like makes the dashboard feel like it's going to uh, fall off of the firewall. wouldn't know about that. I'm not aware of anybody who would take a brand new vehicle and jump it. Except for uh, the guy who's talking right now. I yeah. don't know what you're talking about. How many times about? have you done that, Holman, where you thought the dash was going to fall off onto your knees? Hundreds. Yeah, right? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I think I've been with you when that's happened. Uh, we That might have been mm-hmm. the case, but that's because we had inferior dampers on our vehicle. I'm going to go see Inferior exactly Dampers right. tomorrow night. They're playing the Roxy. Are they? Yeah. yeah. Inferior Dam- yeah. Oh, they're great. Yeah. Oh, wait, hold on. Is it Inferior Dampers or Inferior Dampeners? Because there's no, that no, other no, band no. that used to throw beer onto the crowd to get them wet. Yeah, but the, the Dampeners, is uh, they're, they're, they're not good because they're the drummer left. And they brought in a bongo player, but he's the just bong- They're not no, very good. Just, dampers yeah. are way better, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, so uh, Bronco. That thing, uh, if you've seen the videos that Ford has put out of it kind of going over the, you know, the chewed up desert terrain, it, it looks like it's pretty awesome. I mean, the, the vehicle stays pretty flat, and you can really see the, uh, the the tires working, especially those 35s on the Sasquatch package. It's a lot of unsprung weight. What does a, a program take, you know, when from the time a manufacturer approaches you? What's the process? How do you tune? How do you get to that place where everybody signs off on it and you're satisfied with the, the end result? And I'm assuming every manufacturer is vying for a different feel. They're probably not going, we want it to do this well. They probably have targets that they're setting, right? That's a 20-minute question. Thank you. It's hard to answer. Oh, you, we want, have you some want him to answer it. I see. <laughs> incredibly talented dynamics engineers. Daryl, Nick, Ben, these guys are Well, not Daryl, though. Let's be honest. Daryl's now. He's a slacker. <laughs> Daryl just sits around <laughs> eating. For those of you who don't know, Daryl Bay's at uh, Bill Stein Tunes 
very, very many of the trucks with Bill Steins and SRT stuff that you have, if you've ever ridden in any any of that. And he's a good buddy of mine, and usually I'll get into a new vehicle and that has his shocks in it that he tuned, and I'll call him, and I'm, I'll be like, hey, dude, did you tune this? He goes, yeah, what do you think? I'm like, I knew they felt like crap, <laughs> you know, and I always give him a hard <laughs> time. Yeah, you, know? yeah, you got to give that guy a hard time. you got to <laughs> give that guy a hard time. He's, uh, he's but they really are excellent what they do. Yeah. Incredibly talented ass. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, also, hold on. wait, 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 wait. That's what she said. Yeah. Also playing and opening up for uh, uh, the Damper Band. Incredibly, Incredibly talented ass. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, that's my new band name for sure. <laughs> that's going on the list, I think, 100%. Going back to every your development. Customer, every customer has their own DNA. They want the vehicle to ride a certain way. They want it to ride their way. And our job is to take that what they want, their ideal picture. Jason, you're talking about um, the customer being the OE, correct? The manufacturer, yeah. Yes, absolutely correct. Okay. The, the OE customer, the OE manufacturer. The dynamics engineers at Ford, at FCA, at Tesla, at Nissan, at Toyota, um, they all have a certain way that they want their vehicle to ride. And our job is to take our Bilstein DNA, the, the very supple – um, DNA that that's that's very typical to our dampers, and then blend that with theirs and and give them exactly what they want, but then still have our level of control on the vehicle. So we we don't want to give the customer everything that they want because sometimes it it doesn't always mean well, that's going to be the best riding car. I'm glad you brought that up because how often is the are the manufacturing engineers wrong? In your opinion, never. <laughs> I was wondering. I, I was sitting here with okay. bated breath, wondering okay, well how then, you were going right, to answer so that. So, how often do they have differing opinions? Uh, it's there's. It's usually what happens is there's an expectation, uh, and the expectation sometimes is different from the output. But the the end of the day, the end of the tuning session, the end of the eight or nine, ten tuning sessions that Bronco went through. That expectation, there's a bit of education that goes along with it that, you know, Daryl and, and, and Ben and Nick are excellent at is bringing the customer along and getting them to understand what the limitations are of what they're asking for and, and then making the vehicle ride excellent. So it's not necessarily that they're wrong. It's just that they may not be used to tuning a monotube. And they may be expecting twin tube type performance out of it, then may not understand what to ask from the damper. But again, it's always a a collaborative effort, and it and it's always signed off by the customer at the end. Jason, what's involved in a tuning session, and specifically for the Bronco? What does that look like out in the desert or wherever it is? Uh, the Bronco was tuned uh, quite a bit in Johnson Valley, uh, out in California, where King of Hammers is. So there was a lot of high-speed desert and some rock crawling that happened. Um, you go out with the, the customer V-Dyne engineers, vehicle dynamics engineers, and you, you have a set of objectives. You have um, maybe you want to tune for big hits. So you go and you repeat those big hits. Everybody drives the car. You make some hydraulic tuning changes, and then you go back and you try it again. It is very much an iterative process, and it, it's really one of the few – black art left in the automotive industry so i'm thinking that a lot of a lot of testing they load in a ton of equipment 
So uh, they, they've got to, you know G sensors and all the electronics. This sounds like it's a lot of a lot of butt dino, like you say, the black arts, where it's the engineers getting a, an actual feel for it, as opposed to just having the whole back seat is full of instrumentation. It starts out typically as a fully instrumented vehicle, where we're looking at wheel travels. We're making sure that. Like there are accelerometers mounted on the seat rail, typically, sometimes on the seat back, um, but usually throughout the car. And we're going to measure and, and look for some improvements. So there has to be something more than this feels good. So you have to be able to put some number, some delta to the performance between a Bilstein damper and any other damper. Usually we end up with, with something more than just um, that feels really good. But at the end of the day, there are people who sign off and those guys are drivers and they are the ones who make the decision. They're more frequently not looking hardcore at data and they're, they're really seeing how the car feels. What does it feel like when I'm driving it? Does it feel in control? And, and do I like it? Super subjective. But I like that because it's coming from guys who – uh, I mean, they're they're engineers, and sure. yet they're enthusiasts. So I like that cool hybrid. What does it take to do a tuning session when you have to make a valving change on the fly? Is it something where the dampers come off the vehicle, or do you have multiple sets where you're preloading, or you kind of have an idea of what you know setup A and B and C, so you have several sets that you can easily swap out? I mean, what's that like? Uh, typically, there will be a spare set, um, so the, they'll go for a ride, and they'll say, "I want to change this characteristic." Uh, we'll make the valving change in this set that's off of the car and then get them changed onto the car as quickly as possible. And then they'll go test that again. The The thing about uh, a tuning trip is they frequently turn into very, very, very long days, but not a whole lot of driving sometimes. We want to be as efficient as possible, especially if we're on approving grounds because proving grounds are very expensive. But you, the drivers, even the best drivers, get very saturated. And when you're looking for these very small changes in behavior, you know, six, eight hours, and those guys are completely saturated. They can't process any further changes. And, and any time past that is just, uh, just wasted time, really. Typically, it, it's, uh, you know, it happens in the desert. It's hot. It's dusty work. I've been on a few tuning trips. I used to think I wanted to be a vehicle dynamics engineer when I was younger. I can report that I don't want to be a vehicle <laughs> dynamics engineer now that I'm older. But it's just a lot of travel, uh, a lot of really long days, and a lot of time under the car. I don't mind getting my hands dirty, but maybe not every day for a job. So let's talk about pistons. And so you guys have a, a couple of different styles, a linear, digressive, could you explain the difference and then also explain what's more popular in an OE application and why? So a linear piston, we'll start there. A linear piston, if you imagine uh, a simple uh, XY chart and you drew like a 45 degree angle, um, that would be the damping curve or the performance of a linear piston. As forces or speeds increase, damping increases all the way up and it's just a straight 45 degree angle. A digressive piston, after you reach a certain point in that curve, the force that it can withstand actually goes down. So there's a knee. So if you imagine like if you laid that 45 degree angle has the linear piston behavior, 
and you started on that 45 degree angle with the digressive piston, but then probably a third of the way up, it breaks over and has a much less aggressive slope. What that's for is, um, let's say uh, you hit a pothole, a frost heave, right? If you hit that frost heave on a car that's equipped with a linear piston, you're going to feel it. It All of that force is going to be transmitted into the body. If you, let's say you hit it at 55 miles per hour on the highway. If you had a car with a digressive piston in it, you're going to get past that knee point and that, and that high speed hit, that high force hit, and you won't transmit as much of that force into the body far and away. And I can't think of any factory linear piston applications that I've worked on, period. They're pretty much all the OE dampers have a digressive piston in them. So what's the advantage of linear? Because if you go to the aftermarket side, a lot of the race shocks and things like that are all going to be linear pistons. It's the compromise that that hardcore enthusiasts are willing to deal with. Uh, in my Jeep, I have linear pistons because I want a little bit softer, low-speed performance. But I, I do want to be able to manage the higher speed and higher force impacts. I don't necessarily want to blow through the travel uh, and go into the jounce bumpers. I don't mind if, if a little bit more force gets put into the body of the car um, so that I don't actually go through all the travel. Race applications, you know, that's all feel again, even like 10 times more than our, than our friends, the vehicle dynamics guys. And just like an algorithm or anything else like that, most race guys, they don't want to drive around that digression point. They don't mind that they're, they're, they're going to have a little bit more force put into the body because they want the control. And that's really a trade-off. You give up a little bit of control at seven tenths, nine tenths, uh, with a digressive piston than over a linear piston, but those guys are operating at nine tenths. They want to have all that control. So what makes and we'll just go through some of the terminology because I don't know if everybody always knows what we're talking about or or when you know shock technology. What makes a piston speed sensitive, and how does that work? The way that our pistons work, there's a deflecting disc valve. Uh, think about it like a leaf spring of a truck. Uh, right, if you made it in a circle instead of a, a straight string uh, spring pack, uh, as force pushes on that, then you get a little bit of resistance. So a lower speed, uh, you're going to push against those springs that those deflecting discs a little less, and you'll have some flow. If you try to push more fluid through that faster, you'll get more resistance. That's that's really the basic part of it. All right. Um reservoirs versus piggyback reservoirs. I think most people understand the concept of having additional oil volume for cooling and, and just capacity in general. What's the difference between the two and what's better? And and does it bug you that every off-road uh, wannabe enthusiast prefers remote reservoir because it looks cooler, regardless of function? Function-wise, uh, remote versus a piggyback reservoir, there's literally no difference. All you're doing is you're you're adding the the extra oil is a is a nice byproduct. Um, so you have a little more mass, takes longer to heat up, right? But really, what you're doing is you're getting more stroke out of that particular damper for its packaging space. 
So uh, a monotube damper has a certain amount of its its length that has to be uh, gas charged. And if you put that all in one damper, one one piece, no piggyback, no reservoir, you have less stroke available, right? If you remove that gas reservoir from the damper, now you have that entire packaging space where you can use that as stroke. So the difference could be, let's say on a JL, uh, the, the dampers without uh, reservoirs are eight to nine inches of travel. Uh, if you throw a reservoir on it, you can get 13 inches of travel out of the same package. That's a lot. So it's a, <laughs> it makes, it's a, a, it makes a lot uh, of sense when explained that way. Yeah, sure. And that's what that's for. It's the cooling and all that stuff is, is marketing bullshit. Actually, if, if you, you don't want to put too much oil into a monotube damper because as you have heat fluid expands the more fluid the more expansion the larger gas pocket you have to have so if you put a whole bunch of oil you have to have a gigantic gas pocket okay so it's it's really just um marketing when they say it cools everything faster and there's extra oil it's really just so you can get more stroke out of that particular package space so that's perfect because that's a good segue into monotube versus twin tube and what's special obviously Bill Stein was, I believe, the first company that invented a monotube gas charge shock. So maybe explain the difference between those two technologies. Mono and twin tube. Yes. Yes. So a twin tube is your basic damper that comes on every base level car, every Camry, every base level truck. It is a a non-pressurized damper, meaning that you have the oil is free to mix with the gas that's in the damper. Not to say that there isn't gas in a twin tube damper, but Let's say you go over a washboard road. The oil will foam. That's that's damper fade. So what you've happened is the piston is moving so fast through the oil that you have localized boiling, uh, and the damper actually begins. All the oil turns to foam, and foam provides less damping force than than oil. So, so essentially, what's happening is the oil column can no longer support the piston because it's aerated. Right? It doesn't have it's it's not all together. It's kind of like if you're breathing, go right. Like it's it's going through like that through the piston, and it's no longer supporting it. Absolutely correct. I had a we were just out in the desert this uh, this past weekend, and a buddy of mine's got a old Land Cruiser. Thanks for the invite. And he uh, he uh, as a family trip. Okay. And uh, he hits me up on the radio. He goes, hey, I think I got a flat tire. And I was in my Bill Stein equipped JL hauling butt through the desert. In and you, this did you laugh and just leave him? Going about, you know, probably 60 miles an hour through a wash, just, you know, having That's fun. That's top gear rules, right? Exactly, exactly. And uh, so I said, okay, well, just get up here to me. So he's driving up, no flat. And I walked up and I said, what's going on? He goes, dude, the, the thing feels like it's falling apart. There's no, there's a bunch of vibrations I've never felt before. I go, you overdrove your dampers. I said, basically, you're so heated up right now that you're aerating or cavitating. Are you talking it, about him or his shocks? His shocks. Okay. And so it's no longer supporting, <laughs> you know, you going over the ripples in the wash, the piston was moving so fast, essentially, that your oil needs to cool off. If you were to spit on your shocks right now, they would sizzle. And so we, we slowed it down and took a rest for lunch. Afterwards, truck was driving exactly how it was when he first got on the trail. But as a driver, not thinking about that, he was thinking, "Oh my God, there's something horribly wrong with my truck." And what it was was the shocks failing. I got to imagine or that most fading, uh, as we fading, say. Yeah, I got to imagine that most uh, p- uh, vehicle owners, car truck they, owners, they, would, they wouldn't know. Well, they don't know how hot their components get. Sure. You think of your engine as the only thing that gets hot, maybe the exhaust, but you don't think of the work that those dampers yeah. are doing. Right. 
All right, so that so those were twin tubes on his, right? And so what makes a monotube superior in that way? The best way to think about this and the, the best analogy that I can have is so you take you take the oil and it's like a pressure cooker, right? So the way a pressure cooker works is you put the contents of that thing under pressure and it raises the boiling point. So what you've done is you we're taking our dampers, we apply a pressure to them so they have gas force separated, obviously. And by applying the gas force, we're raising the boiling point of the oil. That's really the the best analogy for how that works. And you also have a single wall, hence monotube. And so depending on the damper design and the construction of the body of the shock, aluminum, say, versus steel, the body can actually also act as a heat sink to remove some of that heat from the oil as well, right? Absolutely. Um, and... Monotube doesn't necessarily have to mean that it only has one wall, um, because if you look at the DTTR, DTTR actually has two tubes, and it's still a, a monotube. So really, when we talk about monotube, um, we just have to talk about really the, the nomenclature is um, a gas pressurized damper where you're separating the oil and the gas. All right, we're going to jump to the DTTR, which is the TRX shocks, in a second. I just want to hit a couple more points. Um, maybe talk about bypass because your competitors have a, a bypass solution, but there's also external, internal. Maybe talk about the pros and cons of that setup so people can kind of understand that as well. Yeah, I'm going to take a hard stance on this and say that <laughs> under my watch, I'm never going to make an internal bypass damper at Bilstein. It, it, it's a cool marketing thing it works at certain speeds but when you really drive the damper all you turn into is a, a hysteresis mess um, i know that's going to rankle a bunch of feathers and probably in my own organization too but honestly it's 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 not a real solution you're just poking holes in an inner tube and letting the the oil flow around so if we talk about the oil flow again once you get to a certain speed i mean the oil's not going to flow through those holes in the, in the inner in the inner tube as efficiently as it should, and, and, and you're going to have localized localized um, cavitation. Yeah, but, it, but Jason, you can prove that with CFD, right? So on the computer, you could easily create a a computer model and say, "Look what's happening!" Hey guys, I'm not going to make this. How, how do they argue with what they're seeing on the computer? We, yeah. How do you argue with the results from a, a shock dyno where you can show what's happening on the shock dyno also, which is um, that's the biggest thing is um, the management team trusts that I'm going to guide guide us in the right direction. And, and that's really not the right direction for Bill Stein. It served a couple of companies very well, but that's not where we want to go. We're also a, not a me too company. We're an engineering company. So, which again, I we think have, we'll get to on the DTTRs because yeah, that's super exciting. The engineering behind it, but um, I just want to hit a couple more points because we move on. Because you're I just think, not going to let us get to the TRX. Well, are you? yeah, but here's the deal: <laughs> is, we haven't had somebody who is so well versed in shocks on in a long time. Just bossing your balls. I want to hear from to, him, to go me. through even the basics, right? The 101. So, uh, let's talk about traditional bypass shocks and why those are different than, say, an internal bypass shock. So traditional bypass, you know, we make those as well. And if, if anybody is a follower of, of Lightbrite, you've seen some of our recent work on both their Ultra 4 car and also on their, their main vehicle, the Stepchild. Oh, and by the way, also on their JT um, with an 8100 series damper. 
not to I saw that. cross uh, I, promote or anything like that. But I had the 8100s on my JK and cannot wait to get them on the JL because they were freaking awesome. Ran out of horsepower before I ran out of uh, shock with that vehicle. So on that damper, uh, you have the external bypass, right? So what you're doing is uh, inside of those zones, right, you have the beginning and end of that outside tube. And on that outside tube, you have a little spring check valve. And you're going to add some preload. So that's the little screws that are sticking out. And you're going to allow a certain amount of fluid to bypass the main working piston. So really, the main working piston, instead of going through the damper fluid, is pumping the damper fluid through those bypasses. When you look at the size of those bypasses on all these external bypass dampers, they're quite large. Uh, on an internal bypass damper, those orifices are very small. It's not really, they're not really the same thing as happening. An external bypass damper is is a gigantic race piece of equipment that is not necessarily the best thing for passenger cars because it's so huge. It's so heavy, right? Why would you want to add that much weight? You know, like a because it's awesome. Uh, yeah. I listen, I put eighty one hundreds on my Jeep solid axle Dude. and no one died, okay? It was great. Yeah. Well the if you look at like a ninety two hundred series damper, that damper I think weighs like sixteen pounds, seventeen pounds. The eighty one hundred series damper weighs about half that. So the eighty one hundred series is a great intermediate step between the the a plain slick sided sixty millimeter damper and a full bore hardcore race damper i want them on my truck for no other reason than they're awesome yeah right (laughs) all right so and you can send it with a bypass shock it essentially allows you to run really hard valving in the main piston and then use the bypass tubes to soften it up right so you can lock down that shock to where you're only using the main chamber but you can open it up to allow it to have that extra uh, bleed to to allow the shock to breathe as it's going over stuff, and it kind of gives you the best of both worlds if you know what you're doing in terms of setting the the compression and rebound circuits, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And important that's an important concept to think about in the bypass damper is that that main working piston is forcing the fluid through those bypass tubes, and you're metering the fluid in those bypass tubes in that intermediate zone, so between those tubes. Once you get past the tubes, you're working 100% on the main working piston, and you can create a tremendous amount of force, um, which gives you that that nice bottomless feeling. And it's a very distant relative to the ESCV. So just like at the end of that stroke, now you're only working on the main working piston in a bypass damper where you can generate a tremendous amount of force. In the ESCV, it's a little bit flipped, but when you get to the end of that stroke, you can generate a tremendous amount of force. All right, so you're not reading my notes, but this flows in perfectly into a JCO-RCO setup and how that's different from an ESCV. They're uh, bigger, actually. So JCO-RCO, we originally put out for the Toyota um, TRD Pro when we were on the first generation of TRD Pros. Um, The JCO is a two-flask system. And that's so a, like a jounce control a, and rebound jounce control. Cut off. Jounce, jounce yeah, cutoff. Jounce cutoff and rebound cutoff. And rebound cutoff. Yeah. The, the JCO is excellent in its application, um, but in a smaller damper, it's really hard to package. So if you have 75 millimeters of JCO travel, that means you need to give up 75 millimeters of that damper length. That's a tremendous amount of damper length in a, 
and a light truck. You can generate way, way, way more force in, in the JCO system than you can in ESCV. Um, but JCO, like I said, has its place. Uh, bigger, heavier trucks, perhaps some electric trucks, wink, wink. Uh, those are going to be deploying some JCO systems. But those have a lot more room for that system. So you, like I said, you have to give up that 75 millimeters of unusable shock length um, in order to have that system. So JCO is probably analogous to having a hydraulic bunt stop, but inside the main shock body. So it packages better, right? I, I guess that'd probably be the easiest way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's another hydraulic end stop control technology. So an, an air bump, like you would see on a race car, or some of the bumps that are making their way into Jeeps right now. Um, that's a, some of those are hydraulic. Ours are hydraulic. That's a hydraulic end stop control. The JCO is a hydraulic end stop control, and ESCV is also a hydraulic end stop control. All right, so what we, is different on the rebound side of the circuit? So the rebound side of the circuit is actually re, it's a very, very close relative, maybe even a, a sister to ESCV. It was actually kind of the inspiration for ESCV. So you have a floating piston on the RCO side. The main working piston has a, on the on the piston rod, there's a uh, an RCO piston. So it's a second piston on that rod. Uh, also has valving on it. So once you get to the end of the travel, that RCO piston makes contact with the what we call a catch piston. That small portion of oil is isolated and everything gets forced through the RCO piston very exactly the same concept as ESCV. It's just for a much larger, much larger 60 millimeter damper. And on the JCO, just to, to go back really quick, it's essentially a, and I, I may have cut you off on this. I want to just make sure that we touch on it. Basically, it's the end of the piston rod inside the shock that makes a connection with, I guess, what you would call a chalice on the bottom and so it's almost like it, the the end of the rod is free floating until it makes that contact, right? Um, a little bit. So there's a on the end of the piston rod instead of a nut, there's another piston. Uh, it's a much smaller piston. It's linear. At the end of the stroke, that piston touches um, the smaller flask. There's a, it's a two flask system. Um, Funny. At first, it was a chalice. Now it's a flask. It's all these drinking references. <laughs> I need a drink, dude. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> yeah, hang on a second. I need to finish mine. I know. What What are you drinking, by the way? We heard you were pre-gaming yeah, before the podcast. Old Forester, which is like really good taste. I, I'm impressed. Oh, nice. Yeah, I live across the river from Kentucky. Our access to bourbon is unlimited. Fantastic. So yeah. jealous about that. Well, come visit. Come for a tour, and we can fix that. Only yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> the door's always open. Okay. Yeah, you say that now. Until we show up <laughs> and it's conveniently locked. Yeah, right? All right, yeah. so, so JCO, uh, two-flask system. Yeah, and uh, so the end of the piston, the end of the piston rod has a, a the JCO piston. Once it makes connection with the end of the first flask, that small uh, volume of oil is now isolated. So as the piston travels into that first flask, that's a smaller volume, you're forcing through the smaller piston, then you have a certain rate, right? Now you're gonna, when you go past the first flask in the second flask, that's a larger volume that you're pushing through the same smaller orifices. So you have a, a, 
a significant ramp up in available force that you're able to generate. All right. I want to touch one more topic before we get to the DTTR, and that is your opinion on spool valves, which another competitor, it's a, it's a technology that's now just made it to the off-road world, and I kind of want your take on, on that. Is, is, what do you think Are you hoping he's going to talk smack? No, not at all. I'm just I'm I'm blatantly curious from a company that has such a long legacy of technological innovations. They're such a, a they're a tier one player in the space. They're still innovating today. There's competitors that are doing some other stuff. Curious what his thoughts are on it. I think it's excellent technology. I can't knock it. Uh, it's very sensitive. Uh, it's easy to tune. Their tuning truck is is amazing. Um, they laser cut their orifices like right on site. It's science fiction bullshit and I'm a little bit jelly. So <laughs> love the other great segue. <laughs> yeah. Well, another, yeah. You know, there's room in this market for everybody. So if you look at uh, what are we going to do? Maybe 17 million vehicles this year because of COVID, maybe 16 and a half million. Oh my God. Wow. Is that, and I'm that's guessing. four, four per vehicle, right? So that's an ungodly amount of, uh, no, and that's not what Bill Stein's going to do. That's the North American car market. Okay. So, um, wow. Yeah, but if you multiply that by four, what's that? Fifty-four million. Uh, sure, I can't do math right now. We it's a bunch can't of dampers. Ever do math? So, uh, how? What? What percentage of market share does does Bill Stein have? Any idea? Bill Stein. Bill Stein will make um, two and a half, two and three quarter million dampers this year. That's a that pretty large chunk. About a million for aftermarket. That's in Plant Hamilton. So that's North America, and that's in Plant Hamilton. Okay. So, of those. Uh, 17 times 4 million dampers that are on the main market, right? We make two and a half million. So it's not a huge, it's not a huge portion of the market. When you look at the vehicles we're on, of course, it's significant. Well, what's the, but, but Jason, but you guys are on the, the halo vehicles that's, typically. Is it, is that it because you want to be on the upper echelon, the, the, well, it's a premium uh, component too. Right. Okay. Well, do you, so you're saying that they're not a Monroe? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying they're not a Gabriel White Shock with <laughs> that, some that's what I'm talking private about. label sticker on it. Yeah. So does Bill Stein even offer anything like that, like entry level? They, you guys don't, do you? It's all performance. Not in NAFTA, nor whatever it is now. No, not North America. That's not our space. That's not our. That's not our niche. That's not the the company that we're trying to represent, which is an engineering company, not a commodity. Um, in Europe, we do more twin tubes and more full vehicle lines, like C-class Benz on every trim level. But in in North America, we're an option package. We're a premium package. All right, so let's talk about option packages and premium packages because we've come to the point in the show where you're going to reveal the black magic that is the DTTR, the shocks that are on the Ram TRX. And you and I uh, are working on uh, a story right now for Four Wheeler uh, where I'm going to try and explain it in, in print with all the mumbo-jumbo that you told me. And I was blown away at what you guys have accomplished in that product, both in the packaging and the performance. And I had, a, I had a, um, the pleasure of writing in a very, very, very early prototype that had nothing to do with an OE that was just sort of like a Skunk Wars project for Bill Stein on a 2500, where I felt a very early example of what that technology could be about five years ago uh, now, maybe a little bit longer. And back then, on the first version of it, I was like, holy crap. 
is this gonna is is this gonna be something? It's like well, just wait, and here it is now. But it's so far beyond what I experienced. So let's get into the DTTR. DTTR is, uh, I don't know, it's a big year for us. You know, at Bronco, DTTR. What's the acronym stand for first? Uh, DT is the uh, DT Ram. That's the, okay. Yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the 1500 series uh, Current body uh, letter style. designation is, is DT. And then it's actually TRX. So. Gotcha, and and so your technology—that's the active terrain dynamics, the um, the Blackhawk E squared, right? E squared, okay. Yes, Blackhawk E squared. So, you guys may remember the Blackhawk damper, the external oh, yes, bypass racing damper, super sexy aluminum body, extruded um, aluminum body, extruded aluminum body, just a really top-notch damper, uh, much different than everything else in the market space. So when we started working on the TRX and we're getting to how are we going to package this technology, uh, a steel tube wasn't going to cut it. We had to do an aluminum tube. Since it was aluminum tube, it's only natural that we revive the Blackhawk name. Uh, There's a direct lineage. It's a very capable off-road damper. So it was natural. That was Blackhawk was born. E squared is because it has two electronic valves. Ah, and it has a total of three pistons for, uh, per shock. That's exactly right. So we were talking about the external bypass damper, where the main working piston during most of its work is pushing fluid through uh, a bypass. And if you imagine, uh, there's an inner tube inside of the the TRX damper. There's a main piston working away in there. And as it's moving through its normal stroke, it's pushing fluid through some bypass holes, much larger holes than internal bypass damper, into a, are you ready for it? I'm ready. Spool valve. What? Spool valve. What? <laughs> <laughs> and then into a, a, the, the, the other working piston for the compression side. Same for the rebound side. So you, when you're working through the stroke, you have the main working piston, all of its area, plus the area of the rebound flow crossing is what we call it, and the compression flow crossing. The spool valve is the metering valve that lets us generate that much force. It's the electronic valve that's in there. It's a continuously variable system. It doesn't work on a setting, like when you put it in sport mode. It doesn't go to a fixed performance setting. What we're doing is we're using three body accelerometers to set the plane of the body. And we're using wheel height sensors, the steering angle. We're sensing the accelerometer and the brake pressure. And what we want to know is, is the vehicle going to, let's say, um, do a rapid acceleration? So we can understand, okay, look, the guy hit the accelerator or girl hit the accelerator. The front end wants to lift. So we know from the we know we know, we know the plane of the body. So we're going to resist that. Or how are we going to resist that? We're going to limit the compression on the front. We're actually going to tighten up the rebound on the rear to try to keep the ba- the body flat. So what we're looking for in every instance: turn in, jumping, step down. We're looking for a body behavior. We're trying to make sure that body stays flat to the earth, and that's. That's what the system is all about. So that's making sure that the body stays as flat as possible. That's the skyhook concept. Just 
That's skyhooking. And skyhook was a concept that I believe you guys pioneered on Maserati, right? Yes. At least wow. in the in the OE world. And yes. and so what you for anybody who's thinking about this, trying to wrap uh, their head around what Jason's trying to explain is essentially imagine that you are holding a model car. Let's just say an RC car, something that fits in your hand, right? You're holding it by the, the roof. Holding it by the roof or by the doors level. Your hand is essentially the sky hook. It's being held by the sky. What Bill Stein is doing through a series of um, modules, sensors, it is keeping the body level and, and, and straight basically all the time. So there's a constant feedback loop well, so from what, every corner. Well, right? so what, yeah, so what you're doing is instead of worrying about what each wheel is doing at the corner, as maybe technology in the past have, has done, where you're, each wheel is reading what the ground is doing and you're adjusting it, you're actually taking a more holistic approach by by interpreting what each wheel is doing to As it affect the, to body. the body. I see exactly. So okay. the whole purpose is not to control what individual wheel, although you can, as it's going over the terrain, but figuring out what that movement of that wheel does to the body and adjusting the suspension in a way that the vehicle to- stays totally flat. Which means you can effectively use the suspension like a sway bar to keep it from flopping over and stuff, which is, in my mind, unbelievable technology. Yes, that's exactly right. They get it right? Uh, very accurate <laughs> synopsis of what Skyhook is doing. Do you need another job? Uh, I, I might actually. Yes. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that off yeah. the air. <laughs> Probably sooner than later, I would yes. imagine. Um, so, yeah, and, the, and when you go to different modes in the truck, we're just letting the body do different things, really. So let's say you go to off-road mode. Or I think it's Baja. You actually want the driver to feel a little bit of body roll. So our turn uh, module, so usually let's say you make a hard left turn, then you increase the compression damping on the front uh, right, and you change the rebound damping on the front left, and et cetera, right, to try to keep the body flat. In the dirt, what we learned is the truck is so capable that you have to let the body roll over to give the driver some sense of speed. Essentially, you have to scare the driver. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You have to give the driver some input to their inner ear so that they have a better sense of how fast they're going. Um, We learned a similar thing doing some, some fully active damper testing where you had the car having zero body roll and then the car would feel like it had literally had two flat tires. You could wiggle the wheel like 10 degrees back and forth and the car felt like it felt dead. We figured out that if you added some body lean or body roll, the car's doing the same exact thing. All the sensors say the car is doing the same exact thing, but because the driver is getting that input that's tied to their hands, so I'm wiggling the wheel. I'm expecting some input to my inner ear. The car feels alive again. Once again, humans are the weak link. <laughs> yeah, and all yeah, it really is, yeah. right? I, I just—it's amazing. I think it's important to point out that um, if you're familiar with the live valve technology that's on the Raptor currently, that has a essentially a jump sensor, right? And it, it's on the compression circuit only. What TRX does is it's infinitely variable on the compression and on the rebound circuit. And on top of that, 
it's adjustable to the millisecond. Like this what, freaking, what, what's the refresh uh, rate on that circuit? Do you have any idea? It's 10 milliseconds to force other piston rods. So every 10 wow. milliseconds, you can you can affect some change. Hold on, just got to <laughs> absorb that for a second. What what is the computing power behind? Like what what does the and, the computer architecture need to be to have enough brain power to manage all this? Because obviously there's an algorithm that's running all the time. And when did Bill Stein become an electrical engineering firm? <laughs> uh, it's been very recently, actually, since uh, since TR. Um, we have really pushed our controls group to to elevate the the art of our algorithm um before trx we didn't have uh a jump a jump algorithm the the germans uh thought we were bad <laughs> crazy when we told them we were going to be jumping vehicles and what like, oh, are you doing well, wait a minute hold on they're in a rally racing they jump stuff all the time i want to see you americans fail yeah, they're the king of jumps <laughs> right through the like, town they're like oh hold my beer literally <laughs> Yeah, but when you start talking about jumping pickup trucks, that's a that's a completely different thing. Not only just jumping pickup trucks, but the size of our light truck market as a whole. I mean, we see a semi-active damper completely revolutionizing the the light truck market because you start to erase some of the compromises of driving a truck every day. You know, uh, the dive, the heavy dive under braking, the heavy lift under acceleration, even just the axle tramp from uh, um, a leaf sprung rear axle. If you manage the brake dive well enough, you can actually lengthen the, the time before you get into full ABS. So you can actually have a shorter stop. It's, it's really radical what you can do inside of a light truck. Semi-active dampers are great for sedans, but it's going to be a boon to the truck industry. So I heard a rumor that you can take a TRX and literally drop it from about four feet in the air, and it will not touch the bump stops. I don't know about four feet, but I know that one of the tests is a 30-inch uh, drop at 55 miles per hour. So you drive off of basically a 30-inch <laughs> tall cliff, which is about the height of a Jersey barrier. <laughs> and then keep going, and there's no disruption to the drive at all. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? All right. What's the difference? Why are these semi-active versus being fully active? What makes them semi? Because it sounds like they're f fully engaged sounds all the like, time. Sounds uh, like computing power. Semi-active means you're still reacting. So we're still reacting to what's happening. We're not in control of the wheel end completely, meaning we can't pull up against the spring. Okay. We can resist the spring, but we can't pull up against the spring. When you go to a fully active damper, that means you have complete authority over the wheel end, and you can pick up the wheel. So, like, Ford had that, I think it was on a Fusion, that had pothole detection where it would lift a tire over a pothole. That's that would a, be fully active, gotcha. right? Yeah. Think closer to, like, the old school Bosch and um, I can't and Lotus demos where you actually have a serious – a serious control um, because really pothole detection is only going to be as good as your sensor array and no one's putting a sensor array good enough for pothole detection on a fusion all right oh, good point well, well, point taken. It would but cost i feel like as much of a fusion <laughs> <laughs> but that's got that's got to be coming on a tesla or something of that nature right at some point um yeah everybody's road mapping 
that has these kind of sensor packages. So you're just building data on data on data on where the road is and, and predictive damping um, will happen and it will happen soon. Whether or not we have fully active damping on, on regular road cars, it's, it's probably a little ways out. So going back to our conversation about JCOs, and we talked about uh, the end-stop control valves and the uh, jounce cutoff, the, not only do the Blackhawk E-squareds have three pistons and the semi-active technology and the ability to both affect the compression and rebound circuit independently of one another, but you also shoved the JCO in there too. It's we did, j- and it's only in, in the front, actually. Yeah, we have a 75-millimeter uh, JCO in the front. Um, there was enough packaging space for that. We fought for that. Um, the engineers fought with us for the packaging space for that, and it it was a tough fight. Uh, the rear damper, uh, because of the pickup truck and there's so much more weight up front, uh, the rear damper didn't really need the, the JCO. It's really an amazing damper. Uh, and it's what happens when you have a bunch of incredibly talented engineers, um, Eric and Jason at, at Bill Stein and a host of other guys, they got let off the leash and just make, make the damper generate the forces that it needs to generate. And then let's worry about what it looks like and packaging it later. So just make your ideal solution for this problem. And then let's figure the rest out. And it 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 took a village, but we're getting close to uh, we're getting close to to SOP. SOP start of production. Oh, start of okay, production. Gotcha. Sorry, okay. got inside inside baseball. Yeah. How does this product make it to the aftermarket to a guy that can't afford the TRX? We're working on some manually adjustable valves that go into the same exact space as those uh, electric spool valves. Uh, so it is possible for us to, to put this into, into the aftermarket in a, in a manually adjustable version. One thing uh, we didn't talk about that I just want to touch on really quick is the machined cooling fins that are on the shock. And the aluminum reservoir and, and I mean, just the machining. You, you pulled out when we were talking, we were on a Zoom call, you pulled out a, one of these dampers from under your desk, and it looked like you were pulling out a piece of industrial art. It really did. It's a pretty damper. You know, function function was first, but but certainly, you know, everything on that damper on the, that's cut to the outside of it has a function. The ribs provide more surface area for cooling. The um, the reservoir is actually going to be aluminum. Hopefully, fingers crossed, and then that will actually provide more cooling. It's really a study in industrial design, and it, there's there's no there's no feature about that damper that its primary focus isn't function. I I would really just like to thank you for taking. I know it's late for you taking time out of your day to uh, to explain all this because if you read the press materials or the background that I got from Bill Stein. This is what I was working with before uh, Jason and I were talking. Uh, According to our research scientists and engineers, the closed-loop control algorithm monitors an array of onboard sensors to calculate output a dynamic signal transmitted by means of electric current to the electromagnetic solenoid. A magnetic flux results proportional to the magnitude of the electric current imparting a force that shuttles the hydraulic valve to a predetermined uh, position. 
This creates variable hydraulic flow restriction that results in the differential pressure necessary to achieve the desired reaction forces and ultimately control vehicle dynamic characteristics. Dude, that was painful. <laughs> yeah, having well, Jason that's basically on. all the shit that we said, but yeah, in, in a paragraph, a little more relatable. So here's what I recommend everyone doing. All right, so go to Bill Stein fourwheeler.com. Oh, that, by the time this comes out, I'll have a full story uh, on fourwheeler.com uh, that essentially distills everything we talked about here with photos and and stuff for people to check out. And then I'm going to attach hopefully a video to it. There's some videos they did of the TRX going over desert terrain. Now that you guys have heard this interview, when you go to the article and see that video, I want you to pay close attention to the body of the TRX as it's going over the terrain. Does it look unnatural? Yeah, because it's so still. Does it look like, uh, not a tree frog, there's those animals that they can be walking over like leaves and stuff, but the body, their torso doesn't move? <laughs> it's you know kind of I mean? like that. What's the name of those bugs? I don't even, okay. I can't yeah, think you of don't, a bug. You don't know? Yeah, I was like a, like a, I, sting, cool a stink story. bug, yeah. Uh, I just, <laughs> cool, cool story, bro. I appreciate I, I just, that. I just feel like, uh, on, let me, wait, wait, let me give myself a buzzer for that one. All right, there we go. I just feel like yes. if you watch the video after hearing Jason talk about it, mm-hmm. you have a new appreciation for what the truck is doing dynamically. And you'll look at it versus maybe some other videos, and you'll see the suspension working. That's not what's different. What's amazing is how still the body is as it's doing it. It's just it blows my mind. I, I hope it'll blow your mind as well because I think if you see it, you'll just have a new appreciation for it after hearing this interview. It's it's an amazing system. It's an amazing vehicle, and uh, and honestly, you know, it's it's years and years and years of hard work of being the the choice for SRT's damper partner uh, that got us to this point. And, um, you know, uh, hats off to SRT for having the balls to make the truck and and the uh, intelligence to put us as the damper supplier. And then one, one last bit of info, uh, just so you don't think everything is high tech and none of the fundamentals have been touched. Um, it does have high pressure stainless steel braided uh, hoses. Teflon coated withstands temperatures up to 275 degrees uh, and internal pressures over 5,800 psi. Uh, also, yes. nitrogen charged as you as you would expect. Um, has a pressure activated triple rod seal, so the wiper seal can help wipe the rod of the general contamination from being out in the desert. Uh, then you have a Teflon scraper to clear away any bigger debris that has adhered to the piston rod, and then a pressure activated triple rod seal takes advantage of the pressure inside the sh- uh, shock absorber to automatically cinch tighter against the rod as pressure increases. So as you're working that shock, it's getting a tighter seal. Also a case-hardened steel piston rod as well, So uh, and a rock shield for the rear shocks. So those are all things that people are looking for when they're looking at high-end truck shocks, right? If like, only it, it had has- mil-spec uh, anodizing, though. Yeah, oh, if only, right? Oh, yeah. oh wait, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the let's talk about that seal for a second. Yeah, let's do it. Our damper does not require, there will be no addendum to your owner's manual when you take this vehicle off-road that requires a a full rebuild after 10,000 miles. The damper is built to withstand the life of the vehicle. And if the life of the vehicle is completely on an off-road course, that's the life of the vehicle. It blows my mind that our competition or the other damper manufacturers in the market can get away with with a with a product for an OE manufacturer that requires a rebuild after ten or fifteen thousand miles. I can't even imagine pitching that. 
Um, I don't have enough flat bill hats to make that work. <laughs> well, that is interesting that a lot of them are like, it's rebuildable. No, that means it fails after a certain amount of miles, right? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that's what I've, they're saying. I've seen a lot of comments. It's a shame it's not rebuildable. You know, it doesn't – and I know a lot of people are like, eh, permanently filled you know, transmission. I want to check it. Great. I understand what you're saying. This damper has, has made it through a 2X lifetime – torture test you know we do over two million strokes in a muddy water environment to make sure that it doesn't huh. ingest mud that's funny a so million lightning. strokes of a, of a <laughs> yeah, dithering <know>. right <laughs> it's 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 a actually lightning does a forex on stop testing. stop stop <laughs> right, right, right it's a uh, little coffee grounds too yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh it's it's that's there's no compromise in, in this product or any of the products. When we did Viper ACR, that was our first full aluminum body MDS damper, so an independently compression rebound adjustable system that we took from our motorsport group. That damper passed all of the OE specs with no deviation. All of that trickles down directly to our aftermarket product. So everything that's in our aftermarket, all those sliding components, those all benefit from a hell of a lot of validation testing that we do every year on site in Hamilton, Ohio. No, no, no. There's a guy in Santa Ana, California that sells one that's way cheaper, that's much better, and he's got a corrugated steel unit that he you know, runs out of. He sells them out of his trunk, though, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, so of what does this system represent as far as the percentage of the purchase price of the TRX? Is this a, do I have eight grand wrapped up in shock technology or more in this vehicle? Or can you even say without getting in trouble? <laughs> I honestly can't tell you that. Meaning you don't know or you don't want to? I I am not allowed to. Non-disclosure uh, agreement. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Somebody Fair has enough. an NDA. I've seen those before. These so are I get, spendy. What yeah. I'll say is it's it's far and away the most expensive damper that um, Bill Stein has sold at high volume. Not quite as expensive as an ACR damper. All right. So those of you who uh, have a Viper ACR in your garage and then will be adding a TRX, you, you uh, are in good company with the uh, Bilstein shocks that are uh, gracing your vehicles. I feel like we've learned a lot in this interview, more than the norm. norm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, now we know why we call uh, why they call you the uh, director of uh, no, no, shock no, no, magic. No, no, no. Head of damper oh. magic. Oh, head of damper magic. Head of damper right. magic. <laughs> exactly. Get yeah. it right. Uh, Jason, would it be okay if we checked in with you again at some time soon? Like after Please we drive do. it? I had a hell of a good time. Okay. At, when you drive it, call me after you drive it. I for will. Sure. And let's geek out on it. I'm a couple weeks uh, away again, from getting behind the wheel. Come to Hamilton and do a, do a podcast live. You will love my CEO. He is five times more passionate than I am about this. And he will blow you away with his knowledge and, and his passion for the business, as will everybody else in the facility. Come see us. Come see where they're built. Uh, Walk I'm, the line. I'm hearing a, de a Detroit trip and a road trip down to Hamilton. Do it. Come on. I'm in. All right. I'm in. We'll make it happen. All right, Jason. Thank you. Thank, right, you. Brother. Thank you so much. We'll catch up soon. Absolutely. Have a great night. All right. Congrats. Congrats. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Oh, 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 wait. Yes. 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 My engineer... Um, is going to be pissed off at me if I don't say uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> long-time listener, first-time caller. Perfect. Thank you so much. Talk soon. All right, brother. Thanks. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye. Holman, how are you feeling about a little email? Yeah. You email? Yeah. I email. Do it. 
Email, click it. Everybody email. That was, that was tight. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to start. Oh, yeah. You want to start this oh, time? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's good. Normally, I got, it's me. I got a good one. No, I got a let, good one. Let Holman uh, take, the, the, take the reins, as they say. Uh, this one is uh, from our friend Jacob Boone and the uh, subject. Jacob Boone, real quick. Thank you very much, Jacob. He DMs me uh, daily. I get 12 a day from him. And they're usually funny. And sometimes I'll give him a thumbs up to let him know. And then sometimes I ignore him because I'm like, seriously, dude, just just, just dial it back just a hair. But he loves. Yeah. He it, says us everything from the internet. Literally. literally yeah. Everything from the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Every truck that goes off a cliff. Everything. Everything. Things yeah. that explode. <laughs> um, uh, people, uh, car chases. You know what um, he's hearing right now? Right now he's listening and he's like, yeah, they love it. I'm sending him more. <laughs> Ramp it up. He doesn't like, have that much extra time in his day. He already, apparently he does. No, he uses it on us. There is no more time to do no, more. Can you imagine what he's not sending us? It's a... I mean. All right. Anyway, so uh, Jacob's uh, subject here is worst intro ever. Oh, no. Yep. Shop Talk. Was the worst intro in the world. Oh. I rather listen to all the other intros at the same time for an hour. Now that's an idea. Yeah. Then hear that again. Would rather hear someone argue that the ridge line is a truck than hear that again. Lightning, what did you smoke before you made that? <laughs> COVID soaked teepee? Broke the suckage meter on that one. It's just terrible. Holman should have reached over and ended it. Wow, that's <laughs> harsh. <laughs> Dude. Now, which uh, which intro is that? That's this one. You know what we need, man? Shop talk. Shop talk. <laughs> Shop talk. Yeah, that's horrible. You don't like it. I told you Shop when talk. you debuted it, it was horrible. Yeah. How do I talk. can I reach over and end it? Yeah. Oh, it's your space well, bar. Yeah, Sweet. Yeah, I just yeah, reached yeah. over and ended it. That was for uh, sure our did. good uh, friend Jacob there. Well, you know what, then? You know... You haven't heard my alternate. Oh, God, there's an alternate? There really is. Is there? I, I kid you not. You ready? No. <laughs> Here it goes. What's in the shop? What's in the shop? Tell us what's in your shop. The segment where handsome guys talk about your bill. The crazy consumption that'll keep the whole thrill. What did you make? Why is it cool? We all want to know. Where's the clapping? Oh, you like that one better? I, yeah, much better. Really? Barbershop, uh, old-timey? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That was a good one. That's oh, funny. I'm glad you liked it. Okay. Way All better right. than uh, the, uh, I don't know, the 420 the version. Yeah. Right? Okay, yeah, 420 explosion. Uh-huh. So um, I will, uh, I'm going to go back into the uh, into the uh, bat cave there, and I'm going to remix mm-hmm. the uh, that, that little barbershop okay. quartet one and bring the vocals up Yeah, a the vocals bit. are a little, little, uh, little dark on that one. Yep, so we'll bring them up, muddy. and uh, okay, maybe that'll be I, the one then. I like that better. Huh. What about the other eight intros that you were supposed to make? Have you made any more of those? <sighs> I don't recall which ones I was supposed to do, to be quite honest with you. All right, I'll uh, I'll re-email you that list. Yeah, I do think I uh, need to go back into the lab. All get, right. Get creative. Or I just need to call Omar. Yes. Because Omar's like, uh, at the end of the Janky Town podcast, he goes, if you want me to produce your uh, podcast, uh, just email djomarcon at gmail.com and all the blah. So he's, he's pimping his services. Huh. All right, well, maybe we'll give him a crack at Shop Talk. Hmm. <laughs> no, no way, dude. I'm loving it. No way. 
What's in the shop? What's in the shop? Does in your shop? That's funny. Uh, all right, next email. Uh, this one's from Lars Lightning. You should always have the audio so it sounds like you are on one side and Holman's on the no, other side. No, Lars, of the why would you suggest that? I'm sure that. you have a term for that. Uh, yep, no, we sure do. Stop. And uh, the best part of that was listening to Holman get mad at you. Yeah. I was like right honestly now? laughing out loud. Please stop. Thanks for the entertainment. Keep up the great show and keep mounting those parameters. Because Lars has some clapped out truck with one channel, so he does it. Ugh. Oh, wait, just, are we doing that again? No, no, hold on. <laughs> what are you doing to the board? No, no, I was adjusting the wrong. Oh pod. my god! Trying to bring us back uh, center. There we go. Oh, that was uh, it was worse than that was worse than our April Fool's joke yeah. a couple years ago. All right, we got one here from uh, Dan Church called uh, Lightning's Parameters. Oh no, boys, we have five very clearly defined parameters for what defines a truck, which I completely agree with. I.e., the Honda Ridgeline is not a truck. Lightning, your claims about the F-150 being modified need to be further examined. What are your specific parameters? You have said not a work truck with a rack on it, so are we ruling out all commercial half-tons? Makes sense to me. That said, how do you specifically define a modified pickup? Tires, wheels, levels, suspensions, chip, tune, intake, exhaust, windows, tint, aftermarket, tennis, brand, bed liner, lighting, sound, etc.? Five stars. Five star review. Five stars. For Holman right now. Oh. Jury's still out on lightning. Dan. Hey, what the? <laughs> monitor key engine parameters. That was for all the parameters references that in that uh, email. Feels, uh, it feels accurate. So I'm going to make a list about all the things that I'm going to, I. That you're going to allow. That I'm going to allow. Yeah. And I don't think it allow. works that way. I think you make a list, you submit it to me, and then mm-hmm. I determine what is allowed. No. Yeah. No. It's not the way it's going to work. You can't go. That F-150 is modified, except I have an argument, so I'm going to say it's not. It's the difference between a uh, black Cerakota tip and a chrome tip. No. (laughs) Also not true. (laughs) This one's from Ryan Evans. Lightweight is wrong. (laughs) Oh, yeah. To that I say... No, <laughs> I meant to uh-huh. hit the wrong button. Yeah, no, sure. All right, so less than fifteen percent. I'm with you. Seventy-five to eighty percent modified for enjoyment. Nope. Drop in bedliner, sidesteps, lead the board, and uh, you know what, Ryan, you're wrong. No, fifteen percent less. You're just mad because he agrees with me. No. Ryan doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, he oh wait, he is an expert. Only worked at a major manufacturer. Here's one from Evan Jones. F one fifty mods. Oh man, dear lightning and the hole man, with uh, a W. Just the <laughs> hole. Oh, read it, read it. I'm excited man. about this one. Here's a few pics of my dad and I stock ass F one fifty. Yes. The Black 05 was his before he sold it to me. While in his ownership, he had the seats reupholstered, custom exhaust, window tint, reverse level, then the normal level, complete stereo, tonneau cover. It looks stock, but definitely had some money dumped into it. Once I got it, I put some cosmetic upgrades on it, along with a backup camera and other extras. Then the kid I sold it to wrecked it. My current 16 King Ranch has the Halo Lifts adjustable coilover powder-coated white to match American Force wheels, Window tin, of course, some stickers and paint match parts. My dad's current truck, the retiree, just added the subwoofers and tint. For more, my Instagram is at the kid with the Jeep. Thanks, Jeeper Jones. Uh, interesting that Jeeper Jones doesn't have a Jeep listed here, but clearly he was being sarcastic because these are all modified F-150s. Add that tally in the Holman box. Hey, it's John, says Seth. 
Wait, why, <laughs> Wait, huh? I'm, I'm confused. I don't. I don't even get that. Okay. I was listening to the show, and you guys trying to figure out what qualifies as a truck. So my question is, what is a K5 Blazer considered? Since it is body on frame, it's a four x four V8, and with the removable top, it has an open cargo space. Also, Lightning is right about the F150 thing. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. Okay, so you had two people say you were right to my like twelve. That's right. You know it. <laughs> uh-huh. That's right. All right, got one here from uh, our friend Stephanie Ortega, who's an engineer over at Four Wheel Parts. Lightning, where have you been? This is how it starts. Have my head on my butt like normal. Lightning, I thought Chevy owners were like a rock, not living underneath one. Uh-oh. F-150s don't get modified? She actually spelled that out, by the well, way. Hold on a second. She works at four-wheel parts. I mean, Stand by. get off me. Nonsense. <laughs> Holman, you got to keep them in check. Haha. <laughs> I purposely bought my 2018 F-150 based on the amount of aftermarket goodies available for them. Sure, I've taken a slow and steady approach, purchasing an aftermarket add-on approximately every three to six months. But this allows me to do the proper research and not regret a purchase after the fact. Below is my list. The truck's a 2018 F-150 Crew Cab 3.5 EcoBoost. Got a daily visual, clear bra on the whole front clip, and ceramic coating application. So she knows her buddy Josh. She does know her buddy okay. Josh, who I just saw at Olaf this past weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, built right Industries, bedside rack, rear seat release kit, under seat storage panel, dash mount, billet antenna, ESP truck accessories, rear under seat locking storage box, diode dynamics, uh, High-low bulbs, fog bulbs, LED bulbs with third brake light and license plate lights, and a few other things like tint, Line-X, a G2 rear diff cover, Ford OEM box link locking bed cleats, and Toyo AT2s in stock sizing. Just barely modified. And <laughs> a GFC camper shell on order. Okay. She says, I've put on over 76,000 miles in just over two years of owning the truck and plan to keep it for many, many more years to come, so I'm in no rush. As of right now, it's quite the sleeper. But I'll eventually look into a leveling kit and 35s when I need new tires again next year. Oh, by the way, I've attached the latest SEMA pickup accessories market report for your review and a few pics of my truck. would love to add Banks intake to my 3.5, but I don't see anything on your website. Wah, wah, wah. Mm-hmm. In the end, I uh, guess I can't blame Lightning. You've probably gone truck blind, but not always being behind the wheel of one. Get Lockjaw going and you too will receive five stars. And that's from Stephanie. Congratulations, you have earned five stars. <laughs> okay, if but, there uh, are 15 million... But no hashtags. Uh, right. Or hash marks in the box. That's, if those there are, are 15 million uh, F-150s on the road, right? that means that there are 2.25 million modified vehicles, right? By whose standards? What I'm saying is that there's a lot of modified F-150s, but it's a low percentage overall. And I'm disagreeing with you still. Just because you throw math at me every time we do this doesn't make your math right. See, I, I we need to talk to someone because if you said how many F-250s are modified, I bet the percentage is much higher. It's much lower because those no are mostly fleet. Way, no. no. Way more no. F-150s than F-250s. No. You are mental. No, you're mental. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Are we going to have to do different channel speaker brawls so yeah. people know our This is the F-250 is modified uh. way more than F-150 side. And what is your side? My side is that I'm not going to dignify any of your arguments with uh, good knowledge. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, she did attach the SEMA Accessory Opportunity Report for the top cars and trucks. It's 86 pages long. So mm-hmm. for my homework this week, I'm going to dig through that. In next episode, we're going to talk about this. That's fine. I have that report as well. I'll go to work and I'll dig it out. <laughs> so we'll be armed. 
All I'll right. have uh, data, and you'll have data. And if my data is different than yours, out of the same document, <laughs> yeah, we'll know who the uh, who the fibber is. Uh huh. <laughs> It'll be you. Uh huh. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, so I want to really uh, I want to change the topic real quickly here. Do you, you mind? Should probably if I... read that though. Oh really? I got to do yeah. this. Do you mind if I read it shirtless because it's so hot in here? Uh, I do actually <laughs> mind shirtless okay. reading. All right. Modified F one fifties. Great. Stephen Watson from Off-Road Design is writing to us. I pretty routinely look around me in traffic and see more than one F-150 with maybe a quarter of them appearing to be modified in an enthusiastic truck way. That sounds like a lot of caveats. And even if it's a quarter, that's still 10% higher than what you were uh, suggesting. I I definitely... Oh, how dare you, Stephen? Dude, (laughs) how dare you? He writes in the... Let me read it verbatim. Uh Uh-huh. I definitely seen some visually modified <laughs> trucks. Is lightning funning yet? <laughs> parentheses. Uh, but sure, it's not 75%. To give uh, Holman some credit, there are lots of ways to modify a truck and never see it. And there are lots of F-150 work trucks. Gotta run, but thought Jay should get a little support on this one. Thank I'm going to call that much. a draw. That's a draw. Okay. That's sure. a draw. That's fine. Hey, Whatever. stop taking your shirt off. It's not that hot in here. I look sexy. I, I mean, I'm turning the lights off. Okay. Because then I don't have to look at you. Just turn away. No, I see the glow from the monitor, which makes it way worse. Uh, speaking do I, do of, I look like Jabba the Hutt? Speaking of how uh, awfully hot the studio is, uh, I've got one here from, uh, looks like Chris Quill says, cooling in your studio. And he has Tell a, me more. An aerial photo of our uh, headquarter building here. He says, Jay and Sean. Hi, guys. Been listening since the single digits and look forward to Mondays uh, and each new podcast. Since COVID shut your building down, you've been talking about how hot your studio is when you record. With no end in sight at this point, I thought I'd drop you a note with a potential workaround. Hmm. With COVID and the fact that you record late at night, the cooling heating in your building will have been put into what is known as night setback, a.k.a. NSB. It doesn't truly turn off completely. It simply raises the cooling set point usually to 80 or 85. Uh, I'm thinking 85. And lowers the heating set point, usually 60 to 65, as well as turning off the fan when not actively cooling or heating. This is ostensibly done to reduce energy usage from the HVAC system. It's very common and usually mandated by building energy codes in commercial buildings. As everyone has been working remotely, the building manager made the simple choice to put all of the HVAC into a continuous NSB posture to minimize energy usage. For a building such as this, 40 to 60% of the building energy usage is around HVAC, so it's not chump change. You can often determine what mode the unit is by looking at the thermostat. It'll say UNOCC, night, hold, PM, or something similar. In this mode, the fan will be off until you hit the cooling or heating threshold. It will then turn back on. The unit will cool the space back off to the NSB set point and then turn off again. It is possible they have fully turned off the unit, but unlikely as the building would be completely unconditioned at this point. So he's uh, attached a photo of the building. He's done some research. He says, your building is what is known as a tilt-up warehouse-style building. It would have been funnier if he had attached a photo of the building and then put it on the center of the sun. That's uh, basically (laughs) what it feels like. Uh, It was 117 yesterday when I was out in the the desert, by the way. (laughs) It was 111 in this studio, I bet. It was probably hotter than that. Looking at the building from Google Maps, it may actually have been a warehouse at one point, hence the big window bays down the side of the structure. Most buildings like this utilize a series of individual rooftop heat pumps to provide conditioning, and this building is no different. This is what is colloquially known as a heat pump farm. The clip below of your building illustrates this nicely. Each little gray block on the roof is the heat pump. All right, so where am I going with all of this? 
I'm going to tell you that you can fake out the HVAC pretty easy to get the <gasps> cooling going again tell for a while more. while you are there. Yes. You would simply find the thermostat for the unit that cools your studio's area of the building, then place a heat source nearby. If you look at the clip above, the thermostat is usually very close to the associated rooftop heat pump. A lamp with an incandescent bulb works nicely. The thermostats are typically mounted on a column or a wall, so a floor-standing task lamp or similar is ideal. Ooh, we have all of these things. You need an incandescent bulb as they convert most of their energy to heat. Move the lamp closer or further away from the thermostat to quote-unquote adjust the temperature. The NSB set point is usually 80 or 85, so you need to warm it up quite a bit. If you use a fluorescent bulb, it may not give off enough heat to have the desired effect. Depending upon which bulb you use, be careful not to heat the thermostat up too much or you might physically damage it. Anything with an open flame or a heat gun is probably a bad idea. A hairdryer works nicely if done carefully. If the building manager has installed the silly little <laughs> plastic lockbox over the thermostats, you'll likely need to put the lamp below the box shining up. The intent here is to heat the air. That he can... has totally done this No, before. I love this. The intent <laughs> it's here... so MacGyvered. The intent here is to heat the air that can flow up through the slats in the box and pass the thermostat. Be sure to thoroughly remove evidence of your skullduggery as you leave. Hope you have a cooler recording session in the future. Thanks, Chris Quill Sr., Mechanical engineer, and uh, Chris has a great Instagram at uh, Old Trucks Work. If you want to uh, oh, that's check that out on the gram, thank you for that tip. So, Chris, uh, we're going to end the show now because we have a thermostat <laughs> to find, and uh, I don't know because we're in a we're our studio is in the Motor Trend Photo Cove, so it's in its own little like box in a box. No, I know where the thermostat is. You really do? There's a unit that is just for this area. You can see it on his uh, on his uh, Google Earth image. So should we pause the show and walk over and see if it works? Or do we just leave it running as we walk out so people can see sure, what we're right, doing let's then? Sure, let's do this. All right. Let's go take a look. Sorry, we'll be back. All right. Where is it? Look around. Look around. Wouldn't it be on this wall over here? Oh, it's in the office next door! Oh. No, I can see it! Yeah, it's locked in uh, George's office. You gotta be freaking kidding me. No, there's a way to do it. We can crawl up on the roof, remove the false ceiling, and drop a drop lamp down in there. All right, we have work right. to do. <laughs> Damn. All right. Oh, oh, did you realize it's 10 degrees uh, warmer in here than it is yes. out there? Let's just do the show out there. Oh. No, guys, we normally don't do the show. With this door open, because you can hear the echo. But, uh... I don't... No, I need to close the door. <sighs> All right. Here we go. Shutting the door. I am bummed. Ugh. Okay. Uh, this one's from Mike Boyle. Really enjoyed episode 140 with Bud Brutzman. In all honesty, I wouldn't have known him from Adam before hearing the episode, even though I've really enjoyed many of his shows that he's brought to life. As an enthusiast and having been involved in the industry my entire adult life, I would really like to extend a sincere thank you to Bud for not compromising and catering to the drama llama crap shows <laughs> that the <laughs> networks seem to love shoving down our but throats. But not ours. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I truly appreciate what he's done to show our industry in a very positive light and not just a bunch of conflicting egos vying for their 15 minutes of fame. You mean like on this truck show podcast? Uh, no, we don't do that. Okay, just checking. No, I mean, I, I give you props and stuff. We're, uh, you're, you're cool, Modi. <laughs> uh, anywho, thanks for keeping the information did he really flowing. Did anywho? Yeah, he did. Wow. Look at this right here. Look. 
Anywho. Yeah, he did. Anywho, but when you do it, you have to go like, anywho. (laughs) Anywho, thanks for keeping the information flowing and the suckage to a tolerable level. Five stars. Five star review. Five stars. And yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Hey, Holman, uh, is it true that you recently went out in a uh, Land Rover Defender? Maybe. Oh, so I feel a... Drug review. That wasn't that bad. No, it was, it was all right. It was, it was kind of tight. Yeah, I'm going to say that this vehicle uh, didn't uh, roll coal or drag truck nuts. <laughs> that would have been funny, though. <laughs> A defender with truck nuts on the back? Or would they have been bulls balls? Oh, uh, I don't know. No, what's in? Uh, what does England have? Uh, I think they have- What kind of animals? No, what do they call their uh, wankers and cherries or something? Well, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, I had the uh, opportunity to uh, get behind the wheel. If you remember, I went to the UK uh, last year, and I was supposed to go back to drive it, and then COVID hit. So uh, we had a, a little media drive down uh, by the uh, Mexican border, Superstition Mountains out there, and it was pretty awesome. What's special about Superstition Mountains? Other than it's amazing. Well, I mean, for those who haven't been, which is probably I'm most of our audience. Just- Crazy terrain. It's just a cool spot. Is it like Mars? No, it's it's real sandy. There's some dunes and stuff. Well, it's, that's what I'm looking near, for. Yeah, you're near the border, and the border patrol's out there, so they'll like quiz you, and you're close enough to the border where they drag the fence line, and they'll drag the roads for footprints and tire tracks. And so, you know, they check to see if you have permits, who you are, what you're doing. It's like, no, don't ignore the uh, the ten British vehicles with British nationals driving uh, <laughs> near the border. It's, it's yeah. all good. I thought when you when as you were saying the words, they dragged the border. Yeah, I was thinking that you guys are all parked, like eating lunch, eating your sandwiches, and they move the border on the other side of your your truck. So now so you're now we're out. Yeah, <laughs> now we're outside the country. No, I don't think that's possible. No. Uh, well, if, yeah, if it's like a chain link fence. Strangely enough, 2020 <laughs> happened right in the middle of all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the day that we were there. Uh, a C-130 and an F-35 doing a refueling mission. I saw those photos on your Instagram. Yeah. That was crazy. They hit in midair and made a crash landing just like 10 miles from us. So a C-130, that's a little bitty jet, right? <laughs> no, that's a, a big fat propeller plane. I know. Um, and then a, a stealth fighter. So there's a... I, Oh, so that's why they didn't see it. Right. <laughs> I don't you. think that's right. Uh, Hold every- on a second. Thank For, you. Fortunately, <laughs> uh, you can do that only because everybody's okay, everybody survived. But they landed the C-130 out by Thermal Airport in a farmer's field, so we found it. And I also think I found the crash site of the F-35, which once the military is done doing their thing, I'll go find it. Uh, there's some videos on YouTube of people who are out jeeping, because it was out by Octeo Wells, who saw the crash and recorded it. And Really? It's I've crazy. not seen any oh, of that footage. Yeah, You've yeah, seen go, the footage? Yeah, it's crazy. They're just out jeeping all of a sudden. It's like, oh my god, and here it comes! Big fireball. They, and is it really because it's a stealth jet and it's moving so fast? And no, no, how no. do they hit in midair? Uh, nobody knows. I mean, there's an investigation, and all that. So anyway, but that was going on. And then on our way, no, so wait, wait, don't don't gloss past that. I'm curious. How, do you go out of your way to go find it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, was it just off the highway? I mean, it's yeah. We went. We I. Jason and I, Gonderman went with me to cover for Truck Trend. I was covering for Four Wheeler. Is he as geeky for uh, yes. is, for aerospace as he Yes. Okay. Yes. So I said, hey, uh, I think the C-130 is like 10 miles from here. You want to go find it? He's like, yes. And on our way there, there was a uh, house on fire and billowing black smoke. And we're like, did something else fall out of the sky? And then an hour after we left, we're on our way home. There was an earthquake swarm that was down there. Exactly where we were, hundreds of earthquakes for like three days, starting an hour after we left. 
I'm like, is it us? Is it us? Because all this stuff's happening, in, or is it just that part of California has some sort of weird vortex going on right now? No, you know what it is? It's it's California being punished for Newsom and his executive order to outlaw internal combustion engines in 2035. That's what it's about. Yeah, that won't happen. He can't control interstate commerce. So that already invalidates that. That was just a political move on his part. What do you mean? No, wait, he can't. What? He can't say that you can't sell something here. That's interstate commerce. He can say an executive order, but it won't hold up in court is what I'm saying. He's doing that for the political points right now. You sure? Yes. Huh. Yeah. Okay. And by that time, most everything's going to be, you know, probably uh, hybrid and electric anyway. So it's kind of like- 15 years? The problem is- That's going to happen faster than we know. Well, two issues. Number one, we can't all have our air conditioning on on a hot day without having, you know- Brownouts. Brownouts, right? So what do you do when everybody has to plug in? The curious thing I want to know is, do you plan on outlawing classic cars and internal combustion engines that way? That's going to be the real sticking point. Is it going to just, you know, are they going to say, oh, well, we only, you can only no, sell electric cars here. Now, everybody who has a, uh, a vintage car, you have to move it out of state or No, 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 no. It was, it. it was just no new car sales. Yeah, we'll see. Slippery slope. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Anyway, going back to the uh, Land Rover Defender. Pretty awesome, actually. Is Defender the little itty-bitty one? No. It's not? No. Oh, Defender is the big boxy one. Yes. Okay, what's the little one I just saw on the highway today that's the little itty-bitty- Discovery uh, Sport, probably? Discovery, yes. Moy, is that uh, the new one? Is <clears throat> Not my cup of tea. Um, I don't like the Discovery. I think uh, the Discovery 5 is not their best work. And in fact, this new Defender is almost the same size as the Discovery- and it overlaps it, and the price point is like high 40s, low 50s, all the way up to 100, which overlaps the Discovery also. I don't like the styling that much. I really think that this should have been the Discovery replacement, and they should have had something more rugged and retro be the Defender. So I, it's just too slick and polished? Yeah. It just, it, it's just it's Defender in name only, really. And it it's not – it. I the think Defender, of all the things it could have been, and it's it's not – isn't the Defender a Hollywood favorite? Meaning, because uh, I, I say that because I work with a couple of guys that they aspired to own Defenders. They no, were Defender, like, yeah. The original Defenders are awesome. They were like, you were lucky if you could get one for like 60 grand. Well, and, and they were hard to find. Then they finally, you could import them here or they sold them for a very short amount of time, the two-door only, the, the 90. Um, and so a U.S. spec one is pretty rare. Um, and yeah, and there's a lot of companies that are uh, bespoking them. And in fact, I'm going to be driving one later in the month. I'll do a truck review on, which will be pretty cool, of one of these bespoke ones that'll be out here in, in California. Um, yeah, no, they're, they're awesome. They're just like the Toyota Land Cruisers and the old Broncos, and there's people out there modifying them. This is not that vehicle. This is a thoroughly modern, thoroughly sophisticated, you know, it's, it's not a bare bones, let's go off-roading. Is this going to be a soccer mom car? Yes. It is. So- but that let me qualify that. You can put in five passengers, six passengers, or seven passengers, which is pretty cool. You can have a three across seating with a jump seat in the front, which is kind of cool. Or you can have a center console there, or you can completely remove that and have a pass through like a minivan. So for me, all the moms in like Newport Beach that are you know driving the minivans that want that Range Rover experience but need more room, perfect vehicle because it has a lot of minivan attributes where you can walk through you know, the front seats to get to the kids in the back, except it doesn't have sliding doors. It has regular doors. So I think that there's an appeal there where you can have that Wrangler or Bronco a little bit bigger, a couple more passengers. You can get that same kind of sitting up high and sort of like retro modern experience in a more sophisticated vehicle um, that can replace the minivan. So I think that's probably where you'll see most of them end up. Now, I will say this. 
out of all of the vehicles in the world, this is probably the most capable uh, all-independent suspension vehicle out there. That's saying a lot. It's really impressive off-road. Um, I didn't like that, you know, the system, there's lots of menus that you have to go through to, to do manual mode and lock the lockers and this and that, but it does have a center locking diff, does have a rear locking diff. Where it does really well is the terrain response, especially the terrain response too, where you can go sand or mud or gravel, you know, all those different settings. The vehicle is way smarter than you would ever expect, and it actually performed incredibly well automatically in those modes. Now, if you want to go in to modify it and add a custom setting, you can, but there's a lot of setup involved, and it's kind of frustrating, and they're not the most intuitive things to use. Like, the, you know, it's an English car, so the, uh, the volume control is over on the passenger side of the dash. You know, you know silly things like that. Is that true? Yeah. It really is? Yeah, That's there's a lot wrong. of them like that. Why would you do that? Because they're, you know, right-hand drive. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was awesome off-road, 20 inches of articulation from up on one side and down on the other. So these are the biggest wheels and tires ever fitted on a, on a Land Rover from the factory. Um, and it, it was a lot of fun to drive, and on the highway, great highway car. Quiet, smooth, although it has a straight four or straight six, both hybrids, with an electric supercharger. So I think one of the early applications of an electric supercharger. Really? I wasn't that impressed with it. Like, it, it gets up and goes. It's, um, well, how, it's torquey, but it's not silky. Is there a way to tell how much the supercharger is adding? Uh, not really. Okay. Not really. Like I said, it's it's torquey, it's fast, but it's not silky. It doesn't feel refined. It's a little mm. little rough around the edges. Uh, the rest of the car is amazing. Uh, if you look at the base model, you get steel wheels and cloth seats, or you can get the uh, all the way up into the hundred thousand range where it's got everything you'd ever want. I think the you know the rapper crowd will also probably love these because it seems like anything that's boxy and different, um, which this is, I think they'll enjoy. It does have fake diamond plate on the hood. To, uh, on the top of the fenders to kind of mimic the originals that had those, but they're not actually to be used as steps. So I thought that was kind of lame. Because mm. you're just like, do it, but make it so they're functional. Because someone will step on it and break uh, them. Yeah, probably. Huh. Probably. So let me ask you, um, what American vehicle would you compare this to? Just curious. Nothing really. Like nothing? So this is not it's like a, smaller a, than a Yukon, but it can carry many passengers. It's almost like the size, maybe a little bit bigger, of like a Land Cruiser 80. Oh, okay. So I would say it's sort of like in that range of not quite full size but you can but still has three rows but it's not as small as a jeep or bronco which both only have two rows the wrangler so it's sort of you know it's it's maybe it's in a class of its own clearly yeah i mean i think the next generation grand cherokee which is getting three rows Mm -hmm. will uh will compete with it i would imagine Uh, i think on some level the nissan patrol overseas because it's all independent but it's bigger, V8, full size. It also has three rows. So it kind of is in this little odd white space of its own, which I think will work really well for Land Rover. It just wasn't a Defender to me. There's a lot of really trick stuff. It's got the cool little safari windows on the roof. It's got um, the taillights in the rear, and the the rear is is sort of like a modern interpretation, almost looks like a concept car a little bit. Um, it's got fender vents that are actually where the air intake comes from so it's really easy to add a snorkel so they actually have factory snorkels and factory adventure and accessory packs for different mm. things country or overlanding and you know um that kind of thing so there's a lot of thought that went into it hugely customizable and i believe it's the first vehicle from the factory where you can order a factory installed accessory satin wrap uh, so wait all right there are they doing satin the full satin wrap or is it a clear satin nope. over the paint it's a full color changed satin wrap that 
can take all the scratches. So when you go to sell it after you've been off-roading, you can pull that wrap off and you'll have pristine paint underneath. They wanted to do satin paint. I know Porsche, uh, BMW, Mercedes, even hardly the denim uh, color. But obviously, the upkeep is really hard on those. And they didn't think that that was right for the Land Rover customer if they were to do satin. So they figured out it's an aircraft-grade wrap. Same thing they put when you're putting on an airplane with like the logo of the charter business mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, same material so that it's really UV stable and, and it's thick. And um, I mean, I just thought that was pretty interesting. That is weird that they're offering wraps. I just feel like it's too temporary for a company like that to offer something that has got a, um, a, a shelf life. Like a wrap is only, I don't care how UV stable it is because uh, I've had 3M wraps. Avery wraps, the best of the best. Have material. you had aircraft wraps? I mean, I, what are they? What do they mean by aircraft? I mean, really, it's I, apparently they went through all the UV, the salt spray, the thing. Aircraft wraps have to be 120 degrees sitting on the ground and minus 30 degrees in the sky, and not crack and do all that. So apparently, they've figured out whatever oh, the okay. special material. I, I, is. I mean, I guess not. I guess I haven't run that, but I, the most I've ever gotten out of a wrap is about four, four and a half years. Which is and pretty good. They just go bad. There's just nothing you can do. It's just because it's it loses its pl- pl- pliability. What's the word? Ply. I think pliability. Pliability. Is yeah. yeah. They it just becomes. Uh, yeah. It cracks. It's hard to pull it's off. Awful. Well, I think this is engineered so that you know. Again, if you're a Land Rover and you want to sell yourself on this off-road adventure lifestyle, but you are sick of your lease returns coming in all pinstriped, it seems like it would be a smart way to sell to your lease customer. You bury it in lease payment. You get it back. You unwrap it, and now you have fresh paint ready to go and probably helps out the residual, I would imagine. Yeah. So that's probably how they're thinking about it. I think from an enthusiast perspective, you don't feel as bad as uh, you would otherwise scratching your $80,000 SUV. We should speak to someone. The last time we talked to Daly, he wasn't doing a lot of uh, paint protection. We should call someone who from Expel. Because they started, I know 3M and Avery had done it for a while, but 3M especially, but Expel really exploded onto the market and changed the game. So, for example, if you go to Lamborghini in Newport Beach or Ferrari or any of those guys, or probably in any state, a lot of the owners drive it right off the lot or don't even take possession of it until they've done a clear bra yep. or they've done a whole the whole front clip. I mean, that's the same know, for done. Jeeps and Broncos and Raptors, Raptors. You see it all the time. So, Holman, on the Holman scale, yep. one to five, five being best. Uh, how would you rate the Land Rover Defender? Uh, a six as a Defender and a eight point nine as a Discovery replacement. I said one to five, five being best. Yeah, but this is my Holman scale. Oh, cool. I'm not going after your well, scale. Then, hold on, then I have to be like uh, I don't know. Number five. <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, what is it? You're not giving me a real. I just gave you. I told you. We're sorry. The number you have dialed is not in service at this time. I'm just so confused. That's all you get. Show's over. Oh, God. That's it. Really? It's yeah. You're just out? Well, I'm out. <laughs> gave you everything I had today. Is it the sweat beating off yes! your forehead? I'm, I'm hot now. It's time to go. All right. Well, I guess it's time to put my shirt on and leave. <laughs> the truck show. The truck show. The truck show. Oh, oh. I just feel bad for the visual that just gave everybody in the studio. I mean, I've had it. My eyes are seared. I'm now blind. But uh, anybody who's listening, they probably forgot that you had talked about that earlier. You should be happy about your blindness because now we come yeah. in every time and uh, I can sit here and do the show in the nude. No, I wish you wouldn't. Uh, there's <laughs> HR issues. Uh, I will file a complaint against there's you. There's no one in this building. Oh, you're going to Me! <laughs> I'm here. Am I nobody? Mm-hmm. But we got to thank our guest, uh, Jason Engelman from Bill Stein, because, uh, I mean, seriously, dude, 
That's pretty awesome, right? Yeah. Do you think Jason will ever be a return guest on the show? Yeah, absolutely. We weren't too bad? No. Okay. No, no. We'll have him back. There's other stuff. I could tell he had a really good sense of humor. No, he's a good dude. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jason, for coming on the show. And uh, thank you to Nissan, because without whom, this show would definitely not be possible sticking to us through thick and thin, mostly just thick. Right? Yeah, a lot some of shows are pretty thin. Oh, thin? Content? Yeah. yeah. Oh, is that what you meant? No, yeah, I think so. we've always had thick shows. Oh, that's us. Yeah. That's thick hosts. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So if you guys are in the market for a uh, full-size half-ton, what do you call them? you got the grades, right? It's it's compact, mid-size, full-size, half-ton. They've got all I'm leaving them, you right? hanging right no, now. I don't you know. Have, wait, Nissan's been supporting us for almost three years, and you don't know their product lineup? No, no. So I know their product lineup. Mid-size Frontier. Mid-size Frontier. Half-ton Titan. But then there's the white half space. Half-ton Plus. Yeah, half-ton Plus. Titan XD. See, that's what honks me up every time is the half-ton Commercial plus. vans, the NV200, the NV2500, the NV3500. Love, Love them more. All of them. But it's the half-ton plus. <sighs> it's just why it's no. It's awesome. NissanUSA.com. Head to your dealer. Build and price. Go get a deal right now. Five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. Tell them the Truck Show Podcast sent you and get yourself um, a new truck. And demand the one that <laughs> ends in plus. <laughs> no. No, no, no. <laughs> what about Deck, dude? What about him? Well, I Bank can em? see- Thanks, uh, Deck. Go to deck.com, D-E-C-K-E-D, for the best storage solution for your truck. And if you don't have a truck, go get yourself a D-bag, which is like a deck system for your back. Every time you say it, I think you're talking about me. (laughs) I feel like there's going to be a joke there. Yeah, but you know the problem is that's you feeling bad about yourself. I'm only talking about the product. I feel like you're always queuing yourself up for another joke. No, I'm not. What's going to be the joke is uh, the video we're about to release. Next week, maybe? I don't know. I don't know when it's coming out. It's soon. I watched it. Yeah? And I really am happy with it, except for... Oh. What do you think I'm, what do you think I'm, I'm bummed about? Uh, your side profile view. No. Okay. Oh, I don't care how I look. Uh, Nothing to do with our looks. The part where you... No, I'm not. That will give too much away. Um, which part? I overact a little bit. Yeah, it's a little cheesy. Yeah. But funny cheesy. I hope so. Because I watched it with my wife. And she and made my, you feel bad. And they had their hands over their face. They were like, really? That's my the opposite of my family. My family was cheering. They, they were laughing me a, at me. No, they were laughing. No, no, no. They were laughing. I walked down the hallway and had a ticker tape parade in my house. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, it was absolutely true. <laughs> Although somebody might have just been throwing something downstairs. But I'm, I'm going with ticker tape parade. Yeah. My family not as proud of me. So do we share that on the podcast in its entirety or just shoot people over to well we'll just send you the we'll tell you where to go yeah i think we're going to send people to the website to go see it all right deck.com deck.com yeah for now different address later all right well for now head on over to deck.com where you can check out their awesome lineup of storage solutions for your truck van or back and uh <laughs> you're back <laughs> I, it just occurred to me what you said i wasn't even paying attention <laughs> i was wondering what you I were doing like, the well because i was ready just to follow up with whatever you said with oh, i need a drink he's uh at lbc lighting i'm at shampi <laughs> holman together we are at truck show podcast please give us a follow on instagram and uh leave us a five-star review on uh, the apple podcast app we would really appreciate it all right well on that uh, note i'm out of here all right Hey, look who's here! <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my god, Billy Bargain was on the other side of the door waiting for Holman to leave. I cannot believe. Well, hi, I need Holman. I, 
I saw that door open and I took my chance to come in. And normally I would tell you about what's been going on, but you know what, Lightning? It's so freaking hot, I'm out of here. <laughs> oh, that's it? Hey, Bye, Billy. Lightning. Billy Bargy, come back. Billy? I'm leaving too. The Truck Show Podcast is a production of Motor Trend Group. This podcast was created and produced by Sean Holman and Jay Tillis with production elements by DJ Omar Khan. If you like what you've heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. If you'd like to open the show, leave a message on the five-star hotline, 657-205-6105. And if you're a fan of the Truck Show Podcast, we encourage you to visit and patronize our sponsors. 